Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. An educated economist here. All right. Got one of you already in the uh, live stream. That's pretty cool. Man, you must have been waiting for it. Um, let's see. What happened today? Um... You know, it's been a pretty nice day for the most part. Um, nice weather and stuff. I had some kind of disappointing news come in this morning. It wasn't kind of. It was very disappointing news. Um, my friend Ginny had passed away. Um, so it was a pretty sad day for me. Um, somewhat unexpected, but not really. Um, I don't know if her family would necessarily want me talking about it, but Ginny uh, had some uh, had been struggling for quite a while. And uh, it finally overcame her. So anyway, um, Jenny's no longer with us, and that was a sad thing for me. So anyway, just uh, trying to get through the day and be, uh, you know, just move on and you know, hopefully have good memories of her. Um, so anyway, kind of a sad one to throw in there at the beginning, but just wanted to uh, let you guys know a little bit of what's going on in my mind and what's going on in my thoughts. Hey, thank you, All Nighter. I appreciate it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve here and the lifting of the interest rates. So a lot of people are now aware of the Federal Reserve has moved to a neutral rate. Now, a lot of people had asked me, what does that even mean? What does neutral rate mean? And that's where the Federal Reserve is neither accommodating nor restricting the economy with the Fed funds rate or at the Fed funds level. And nobody knows exactly where neutral rate is. Now, a lot of people had assumed it was somewhere around the 2.5% on the Fed funds level. But according to like some of the speeches that I had read, like especially that one John Williams speech that I go back to quite a bit, the monetary policy for a low neutral interest rate world. And in that speech, he talked about the neutral rate being somewhere between 0 and 1.5%. Now, of course, things have changed quite a bit, you know, within the economy, especially when it comes to inflation and what people are anticipating inflation is going to be into the future, which has, you know, the inflation expectation has an impact on actual inflation. So that neutral rate may have moved up quite a bit higher. So that's where the one and a half percent could very well now be at two and a half percent, which is what most people kind of feel that the neutral rate is. But since nobody really knows, it could be a lot higher than that. The one thing that I do know coming from the Federal Reserve is that they are not shooting for a 2% target, which is what a lot of people are claiming, and including the Federal Reserve. Like in the speech that I leave down in the description, even in that speech, they, he mentions, I think it was Waller um, who gave that speech, even he mentioned the neutral rate being like, or not the neutral rate, but the, uh, the target rate of 2%. And the Federal Reserve already said, like a while ago, that they're not shooting for a 2% target any longer. They're going for a 2% average, which is much different than a 2% target. I mean, typically the Federal Reserve would want to move their Fed funds level in a, in a direction in which that would get inflation to that 2% target. So if inflation was running un, under 2%, they would have tried to adjust their monetary policy to become more stimulative stimulate stimulate geez stimulative there we go to try and bring that inflation up to the two percent target 
And then if it was above 2%, they would be restricting and try and bring it back down to the 2% target. But that's not what they're going for any longer. They're going for a 2% average. The funny thing about this 2% average is I have yet to figure out what it is that they figure this average inflation rate to be. I mean, is it average inflation over five years? Is it 10 years? Did they start the average from before the pandemic or after the pandemic? When does this average inflation start? Nobody seems to really know about this or talk about it. And so we don't really know where the average inflation really is. Now we do understand that like the target inflation rate, and that's pretty easy. I mean, inflation's at 9.1%, then you become restrictive, right? Until you bring it down to the two. But we don't know how the monetary policy is supposed to operate when it comes to average 2% inflation. So there's a major difference inside of that, which I don't think anybody really seems to take into consideration, including the Federal Reserve in their speeches. So I'm still kind of lost on that one and have yet to figure that one out, the 2% average inflation. But let's just talk about the neutral rate. So the neutral rate, where the Federal Reserve is neither restricting nor accommodating the economy, and now this is really kind of an interesting spot to be in as well, because really it doesn't necessarily dictate like where interest rates are going to go, because we already seen the mortgage rates coming down because a lot of people are anticipating that the Fed is going to hit that neutral rate and then stop lifting interest rates at that point. So a lot of people are taking into this consideration that that's as high as interest rates are going to go, that they're not going to go any further from here. But that, that may not be the case. I mean, they very well could try and restrict the economy to get the inflation down to their 2% target for average. Not their 2% target, but their 2% average target. Right. So where is it that they're going to go? I personally believe that the Federal Reserve is going to continue to lift interest rates, even though like the narrative out there is that they're done lifting interest rates. I don't feel that way. I feel that they are going to continue to lift interest rates. They're going to try and get as much ammo back as they can, which is the lifting of that Fed funds. Like if they want to try and stimulate the economy, they have to drop the Fed funds rate. Well, at two and a half percent, the dropping of Fed funds rate doesn't really stimulate the economy. So the more that they can lift that Fed funds rate, the more ammo they will have in order to combat the next recession. So I think they're very much of the mind to try and continue to lift those Fed funds rate. But they would love, they would love for everybody to believe that they're not going to do that. And the reason why they would love for people to not do that is so that the inflation will continue so that they can continue to lift their interest rates. Now, I know that's really like, people are, man, now you're really talking crazy. But no, just think about it for just a second. The inflation that we have experienced, and even in that speech they talk about it, how a lot of this came from the supply chain breakdown and the demand that came from the stimulus, right? But it was the supply chain breakdown that really caused the inflation to move up. And this is something that they really wanted because they wanted to lift those Fed funds rate up. They wanted the neutral rate to be much higher than it is today. So if they can continue with this inflation narrative out there where people feel that there's going to be continual inflation coming into the future, well, then they can continue to combat that inflation with the lifting of interest rates. So if people even have this idea that there's going to be a stalling out of the lifting of interest rate or lifting of Fed funds or even a reverse to the Fed funds level, then that would actually be stimulating to the economy. People would be like, oh, man you know, let's get into the stock market. Let's get into some of the other things that are going to cause, you know, that are going to be moved up as far as asset prices caused by the lowering of interest rates. But that very well may not happen. You, you kind of, I know I'm talking in circles here, but I hope you guys kind of get what I'm, what I'm coming from here is that it's the credible threat that's coming from it. 
the Federal Reserve is loving that credible threat narrative out there because they really don't have any other tool to use. So that's really what I see coming into the future is that we have a Federal Reserve that is going to continue to be restricting to the economy. They're going to continue to lift the Fed funds rate up as high as they possibly can. Now, granted, they're probably not going to get it too much higher above neutral before they really start causing some damage to the economy. But we won't know what damage to the economy is actually going to take place for another like six months to a year down the road where the neutral rate that we have just achieved on the Fed funds level starts to actually impact the economy. Now, the perception on the markets happens almost right away. I mean, that's that's takes place soon as the Fed puts out any kind of narrative or word or idea out there. The markets eat that up right away. But the actual impact to the economy doesn't happen for another six months to a year. So really, even if the Federal Reserve was to lift interest rates to the neutral rate, if this happens to be the neutral rate, we still have another six months to a year to see if whether or not those lifting of interest rates has the neutral impact, the neutral you know, whatever the being neutral to the economy at the, at the level that they are, that's like, you know, still very questionable. All right. I'm going to stop talking and start answering some questions. Here we go. Bay ocean bear. Thank you very much for the $5. Do home improvements done without permits impact house sales? And why is Mexican silver sought after and fetch a high premium? Um, do home improvements done without permits impact house sales? Um, I don't, I mean, I would imagine that they would impact house sales in the sense that you would be able to sell the house for a higher price if it was, you know, improved upon. But I'm not sure if that's going to actually affect the sales of homes, like how many homes get sold. I mean, I think that both of them are probably fairly desired, you know, completed homes and homes that need to be improved. So I'm not sure how that's going to impact the the home market itself, the housing market. Um, I'm not sure how, how to quite address that question. Um, as far as the Mexican silver sought for after sought after and fetch a higher premium. Um, well, I, I know most government issued stuff. It has a higher premium to it and anything like the Canadian maple leaves or the American silver eagles or the Mexican libertads. Um, all those are, are desired because of the recognized, because they're recognizable. So when you have like generic bullion from some like mint out there that nobody ever heard of the, the question, you know, you have this question that raises up how much purity is this? I mean, is it actually, you know, 999 silver or is there something else mixed into it? Is it, you know, counterfeit or something? When you generally get something that is government issued, it's fairly recognizable. Like, you know what you have when you, when you buy those. So when you have this kind of recognized piece in your hand, that gives it a little bit more premium because there is no questioning what it is or the purity of it. So if you hold like government issue, whether it's Canadian, American, or Mexican, you're going to have a much higher premium on those. And then the rarity of it, like how much of it is it available? Like American silver eagles are everywhere. So, you know, buying American silver eagle is no big deal. Buying a Canadian maple leaf might be a little less rare, but not that rare because there's plenty of those out there. And then the Mexican, you know, government issued stuff, again, you know, might be just a little less rare, but not terribly rare. So that might catch you a little bit more premium when you have so many American silver eagles out there just floating around, then, you know, picking up the, you know, the, Me the Mexican government issued stuff. 
can carry a little bit higher premium to it if it's just not that much available out there to purchase. Um, I hope that answers your question. Libertads. Am I saying that right? How do you say that word? <laughs> All cash buyers have been buying houses in my town more than mortgage buyers. If the economy is that bad, why would investors buy so much single-family houses? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question to ask. And I was reading where there's a lot more Chinese buyers coming into, into the United States real estate market. And that doesn't really surprise me. Um, you, you know, you think about it, like, this is kind of one of the things that I thought about when I read this article. Um, a friend of mine had actually sent it to me. And uh, so I'm reading this article and it got me thinking about these Chinese buyers because really it's been over the last year or so that they have really started moving more into the into the American real estate again. And so I got to thinking about it. It was just like, well, if I was a Chinese real estate investor and I was typically investing in China, well, China's property sector right now is like getting hammered. I mean, it is like ugly. And whether or not you're going to invest in that country would be really questionable, especially considering some of the circumstances that are over there right now. Talking mainly about like companies like Evergrande going out of business and people no longer making their mortgage payments on apartments that haven't even started yet. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be unwound there in China. But if you want to continue to invest, well, then where are you going to go? Well, you're probably going to go to the safest place that you can think of, the safe haven United States, even though I know a lot of people won't consider the United States a safe haven, the rest of the world still does. And so that kind of leads me to believe that if you are going to be a real estate investor and you're Chinese and China makes you nervous, then head on over to the United States where things are looking a little better, actually a lot better considering, you know, what's going on in China. So, yeah, I could see where there would be a lot more investors moving into the housing market here as opposed to just home buyers. Um, you know, a lot of times home buyers, they get nervous when they see like home prices falling or thinking that interest rates are going to continue to rise. But that's not what we're seeing. I mean, we're I mean, we are seeing home prices fall, but they're not falling like I mean, not at least not from what I've seen. There's a lot more inventory and there are prices coming down, but it's not like the home prices are coming down super significantly, at least not from what I've noticed. If you have a house that sold for $400,000, it's moved up to $500,000 and they take $25,000 off the price of it. I mean, really, isn't it more like, you know, it's like a $75,000 increase, like tw taking $25,000 off of some of these homes, off of, off of some of these homes that have like elevated in price as high as they have, doesn't seem like that significant to me when you see that kind of drop going on. But it does look like a big number, and it certainly, you know, is something to point at when you see it happening. You know, it's just like, wow, these all these houses in this neighborhood are coming down twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. But you got to think, did they go up a hundred thousand dollars over the last year? <laughs> all right, largest correction in twenty years last month. Largest correction to what? That's again, like. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, you got to consider it. I mean, after having, you know, significant increases, the largest increases that you've had year after year after month after, you know, all this time, and then you have one month of significant drops, how significant is it? Like, yeah, you can compare it to 20 years and that we've never had across the board significant drop of this magnitude. But then again, are you comparing it to the massive increase that has taken place over the last year? That's really what you have to ask about. It. That's what gets me about, like, Percentages. I just love it when you hear percentages, you know, it's just like, you know, 
mortgage applications fell 50%. Well, yeah, but there wasn't a whole lot of mortgage applications to begin with, you know, like kind of thing. When you hear like, I don't know about that number, I'm just kind of making things up. But you, you see, like, I mean, you got to have a number that you start off with that you're talking about when you talk about percentages. And a lot of times, you know, when they talk about like downturns in the economy, right, you have like, all of a sudden, all this stuff happens, and you have this significant drop in, in I don't know, just say a stock price. But then you have all of a sudden this major increase. Wow, stocks increase 50%, you know, on this particular company or whatever. Well, they don't really talk about like how the company went from $80 a share down to $10 a share. Now it's at $15 a share and they talk, ooh, a 50% increase on the stock price. Yeah, but that's after it fell from $80. I mean, that, that increase of 50% on a $10 stock isn't that big of a deal unless you happen to buy it at $10. You know, most people don't really take those kind of considerations. They just hear the 50% increase and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, and really isn't that big of a deal. All right, let's see here. When it happens, it'll be quick. Okay, look at pipeline for housing. Builders are not keeping up out of fear of interest rates. Housing will be in high demand for a long time. Yeah, um, I can kind of see... I can kind of see like the bullwhip effect taking place within the housing industry, especially with the interest rates moving up as quickly as they did and people getting very panicked, panic, panicky, panicked, panicked about it. I don't know how to say this word. Anyway, they get very panicked about the the idea that the prices are going to fall. And if the if a buyer is out there looking to buy a house and they think that the price is going to fall, well, that makes them nervous. Like they don't want to buy into that until they actually know that the prices are going to come down or not come down. And so now they're like sitting on the sidelines waiting. Well, this is like the building up of buyers out there. If you do not have those people going in there and signing deals on homes, it's not like they're going away. Like they say, well, the, the buyers are just like left the, left the whole housing market. No, that didn't happen. They're just standing on the sidelines waiting for better opportunity. Whether it's lower interest rates or a lower price, one or the other, they're waiting for it. But the demand for houses are going to continue. So as they're waiting, you got an inventory buildup. As the inventory builds up, then the prices fall. When the prices fall, then you're going to have a rush of people move into it. So that's kind of the idea that I feel feel is going to happen, is that if you have an inventory buildup, you have the interest rates rise, you have the home prices come down, at some point the buyers are going to start moving into it. Once they move into it, it's going to zap the inventory out of there, and there's not a whole lot of homes starting right now to fill in the gap. Right. So there's like a gap in production taking place, much like everything else that happened in the, in the economy. Like they told everybody to stay home. So there was a gap in manufacturing that had happened. Same thing that happened in lumber. I mean, there was already an inventory depletion. But then when the pandemic hit and they told everybody to go home and not go to the mill to work, then there was a gap in production of inventory right there. And then once the inventory was zapped out, filling in that production was very difficult again. So we very well could experience something like that again going into the housing industry. But at first, you know, if that is to take place, then you would see a significant drop in the house prices and then immediately get zapped out, inventory falls, and the prices move back up as there's less homes being built to, to replenish that. Again, that's just kind of a guess, but it could happen. All right. Thank you very much, Jaws, for the two ninety nine. Thank you for the super sticker. Very much appreciate it. Imagine trusting your government. Don't. Don't trust anybody or anything, you know? God, we are so wildly slow at adapting to this crap. Yeah? Uh, I can see that. All right, let's move up here a little ways. Um, 
All right. I just joined. What's the conversation been about? We're talking about interest rates and whether or not the Federal Reserve is going to continue to raise interest rates or if they are done at the neutral rate. So that's kind of what we're talking about. I ordered trusses for the garage build with a six-week lead time, received them in three weeks. Delivery driver told me 400 orders had canceled in the last month. This is a large trust plant in Wisconsin. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Um, I'm still waiting for vinyl windows. That's going to be my my indicator. That's the one that I noticed had, excuse me, had an incredibly long lead time to it that didn't seem to shorten up very much. And so I'm still two months out, two and a half months on, on vinyl windows. That time had shortened up for quite a bit. Like it was getting down to like under two months. And there was a couple of times that we had put some orders in there where they must have had a gap in production that we were able to get vinyl windows fairly quickly. But the last few that I have ordered, they seem to be two and a half months out, um, which still leads me to believe that there's a lot of demand for these windows. And once I see the window lead time come down significantly, I'm going to know that the building industry is definitely taking a turn. Um, but right now, I'm still I'm still a long ways out on these vinyl windows. But hearing that about the trust company, that's going to be very telling because you know that's the framing. That's 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 everything out there. Until the framers do their job, there is no other trade that can do anything out there. The plumbers, the electricians, it doesn't matter what you do as far as a trade goes. Until the framers get their thing done, then there's no house to even work on. All right. Thanks, UE, a.k.a. Simon. That's me. All right. Do you follow the war much? Nope, I don't. Um, you know, to me, that war is a lot more political and I just, you know, I don't know. There's so much propaganda that runs through that stuff to try and convince people like I, you know, when I all of a sudden start seeing everybody wearing a particular badge or something like that, like everybody was wearing these Ukraine flags and, you know, they're all symbolizing and I'm like, what's going on here? Why is everybody wearing this stuff? And they were like, oh, it's all in support. And I'm like. Who came up with this idea? Like, who came up with the idea that everybody was going to wear these flags and in, in support? Like, I understand that that's what you want to do. And if you came up with that on your own, then that's one thing. But I see everybody almost doing it consistently, like almost at the exact same time, which leads me to believe that it was a mass media push out there to get everybody to start doing this. Like, oh, hey, everybody start feeling it for the Ukraine and start supporting Ukraine and wear the flags. Now, if you're down for that, that's cool. I mean, I don't have any problem with it, but when I see everybody doing it all of a sudden at the exact same time, it leads me to believe that that was a propaganda push out there that made that happen. What about how it impacts commodities? It's gonna impact, I mean, you know, every, you know, Storms will impact commodities, you know, war will impact commodities, you know, economic downturns impacts commodities. It all has like impacts on it. Those cause and effects will take place. I mean, there's a lot that's going on right now when it comes to like grain transports and oil transports and all that other stuff that has to do with the war. And yeah, that's going to have like impact to the economy. But as far as like long lasting macro direction, that, that's happening. I mean, this is stuff that doesn't matter if there's war or not or peacetime. It's still going to continue in this fashion. I mean, you know, business cycles, debt cycles, stuff like that, regardless of war, I mean, they're going to happen. And generally during war, it's still taking place during an economic event. I mean, you know, when you have like generally when you have an economic downturn, like a massive economic failure that's going to happen, 
almost always it co- almost always it coincides with some sort of war, right? I mean, almost always it does. And you know, really, it's a matter of like battling for natural resources and the idea that you're going to do your you're going to con- conduct your business in a particular currency or something like that. I mean, all this stuff has impact on the economy, but really, it's the direction in which that you're headed down, right? United States was making sure that everybody used U.S. dollars to buy and sell oil. And if you didn't, we were going to go in there and blow you up. So, I mean, is like, you know, is what one is causing the other, right? Was it the war that caused the oil prices or was it the oil prices that caused the war? (laughs) That's like, you know, anyway, uh, we have to have war. I don't know if we necessarily have to have war. Um, It just seems to be the case. And I don't think you'll ever be able to stop it, but I don't know if it's necessarily you have to have. The guy who came up with support Ukraine with a flag thing is the guy who sells Ukraine flags. <laughs> yeah, I, I can believe that. Uh, only six million matters. All right. Um, what are your thoughts on the White House trying to change the definition of a recession? I, I don't know. Like, I'm, you call it whatever you want. I mean, you can go... That was another thing, like, okay, let's talk about war and what they call it, right? You go over, you fly your planes, whether it's a drone or military people or whatever that you have, you go over to another nation and you make somebody dead, that's war, right? No matter how you look at it, that's that's a war. And you can call it whatever you want. You can call it police action or you can call it, like, you know, I don't care what you call it. Like, if you're making somebody else in another land dead, that's war. And so... I mean, I guess you can call it whatever you want so long as it's not a war, but that's what it is. And so, anyway, when it comes to recession, it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, you know, if you have two quarters of negative economic growth or negative GDP growth, if you have high unemployment or high employment or low unemployment, you know, however you call it, you know, if you have bankruptcies starting to take place, if you have like issues like that going on, then typically, you know, you would think, okay, well, this must be a recession. I mean, you know, you can you can define it whatever you want. It doesn't it doesn't make it any different than what it is. It's kind of like comparing inflation today to comparing it to like 1982. It's like it's not even the same thing anymore. I mean, why are you comparing today's inflation to the 82 inflation saying, look how much higher it is? It's not it's not even judged or, you know, figured in the same way. It's like something completely different now. Any insight on the possible railroad worker strike? I don't know, man. It seems like it's getting a lot closer. I mean, reading some of the articles about what these, like, you know, what these rail hubs are going through, it's just incredible. Like, uh, anyway, um, what these guys are going through at these hubs, like, they have so much stuff and it's so overwhelming to them that they're just sending stuff wherever. Just, like, get it out of this hub. They're just loading up rail cars and or just sending them out they're like they're like well this isn't even going in the right direction they're like i don't care just get it out of our area and so this is the type of like you know things that these rail hubs are in rail lines are going through so i could imagine the frustration level of some of these guys would put it to the point that it was just like man this is unfair conditions this isn't working out and yeah if they strike then it's only going to make it that much worse so um yeah i don't know like it's that probably won't work out too well do you ever watch Wealthion? 
I'd love to see you on there sometime. I haven't, but um, I'd love to get in talk, you know, get in contact with them and have a conversation. Are there any implications of people not acting like it's a recession, though? They might be making poor decisions when not taking the situation seriously. Um, you know, that's kind of an interesting question because, like, what if you what if what what would have what would you have done? Here we go. What would you have done had you not believed the inflation scenario? Like, would you have saved all your money and then be prepared for a recession? Most people didn't do that. Most people thought the inflation or see the inflation, they recognize it for what it is, and they dumped all their money out there. Like, got to get out of the dollar as quickly as possible. Whether they got into, you know, some sort of investments or just, you know, dump their money into stuff that they felt that they needed whatever it was they really felt that this inflation scenario was going to be long lasting and go into like a hyperinflation scenario so going against the idea that there was going to be rampant inflation forever or you know for the foreseeable future with no reversal to it trying to save your money with that thought would be very difficult to do like you would be like no that ain't gonna happen so if you feel that there is going to be a recession coming, well, then you would start behaving in a fashion that would cause the recession to happen. But then if you, that's if the, everybody did it. But you as an individual decides that you're going to like, whether or not you're going to believe the recession is going to come or go against it, the damage that can come from it really has to come from the reality of the situation that in the end, right? So even though everybody knew inflation was coming, right? They knew that it was going to be rampant. It was going to last for a long time. I went against that. I'm like, well, I'm going to start stacking cash. I'm going to start stacking cash because I feel that at some point that this inflationary thing is going to go away and that we're going to have a severe drop in the economy, whether it's from asset prices or something happening out there. I mean, people just stop taking out loans or whatever. That's going to be an opportunity to get in. And the only way to do that is to be on cash, be in cash at the time, which is very difficult to say, yeah, I'm going to sit on cash during a, an inflationary scenario. So going against what everybody else is thinking generally is probably going to be the better investment, right? Be fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful and then buy when there's blood in the streets. So, I mean, when people say like, you know, they could be damaged if they don't believe that there's a recession. Well, you could be damaged by thinking there's a recession. I mean, it really, you know, it's it's entirely up to you and what you do. You know? I don't know if I said all that right. Anyway, be contrarian like Mike Burry and be wrong. Um, okay. So when everybody was looking at lumber and saying that it was inflation due to the monetary policy and I was like, nope. It's not, and you're going to see inflate. You're going to see lumber prices come back down to the five hundred per thousand mark. Now, when I said that, people like there was very few people who agreed with me on that. I was very much standing on my own saying that, but I had I I knew it. I could just feel it. I could see it within the vendors, within the inventory levels. I just I I knew that that seventeen hundred per thousand price was not right. Was not reality, and so yeah, I won contrary to what everybody else was saying and I was just like nope the 1700 per thousand mark is going to come back down to five and there's plenty of people who said nope you're never going to see lumber under a thousand dollars again under a thousand per thousand and I'm like no that ain't going to happen so 
be don't be afraid to be contrarian against uh you know against the common belief out there i mean following the herd i mean a lot of times they're right like you know going in the direction that everybody feels is the appropriate move i mean it a lot of times it does go in that direction but when you see things that are just so out of whack and this doesn't seem right anymore and you're looking back and everybody's going i can't believe this and you're like yeah me neither and i'm not going to believe it either you know John, thank you very much for the 499 Nasdaq SPX VIX. These are tickers to follow. Do you follow one for lumber? Is there one? Um, outside of just watching the lumber futures market, which is two two month contracts. So other than watching the lumber futures contract, the only other like ETF that I follow is it's the ticker symbol ticker symbol wood w-o-o-d and it tracks global forestry products um that could be one that has like you know i mean i guess it would be one to kind of follow as far as like the wood industry goes but again that's like global forestry products and not necessarily like the lumber industry here in the united states so yeah i don't know if that's really necessarily one to be an indicator or follow you know uh things are okay right now the market is doing well and yeah, janet yellen will be right again i don't know if she'll necessarily be right but um oh thank you rain rabbit yeah definitely hit the like button if you when you get into the room or get into the chat here i don't know if janet yellen will necessarily be right but when she said that we may never see another recession again i mean you think about it. What happened during the last recession? I mean, everybody loved it, right? They all got to stay home and had their rents taken care of and they got stimulus checks. Like, a lot of people didn't even know we had a recession. They were like, man, the pandemic was the greatest thing that ever happened. And then, then you know, everybody getting sick and dying. But, uh, you know, the, the actual, like, impact to a lot of people, I mean, it seemed like everybody was smiling about it. Like, everybody loved being home and getting the stimulus checks and, you know, all the stuff that went with it. So, like... You know, was anybody really scared of a recession? No, they were scared of this, like, pandemic thing happening. They weren't scared of, like, an economic downturn, even though that was, like, the real scary thing that was taking place. Those of us who were watching the recession coming from the end of 2019, I mean, we were all, like, I mean, there was lots of us who were watching the inverted yield curve. We were talking about the indicators happening. We saw that there was a major slowdown happening within the, within the economy, and then, boom, the pandemic hit. And it was just like, okay, now what? What happens to you? Well, here's all this papering over of the economy. So to hide that economic downturn that we were having, there's no, you can't see that anymore because we covered it all up with the stimulus from the pandemic. And anyway, moving on. Okay. They had us believing we were all going to die. Yeah. Right? You know, that's the other thing. I never watched mainstream media, so I didn't know. Like, people were coming in, like, all of a sudden, they're experts on, on you know, on every kind of disease and infection and virus and all kinds of stuff out there. I mean, what gets me is like the, the reaction that people had, like even here at my location at the store we were in, they had like every 20 minutes or half an hour, we were supposed to go around and wipe all the keyboards and 
the mouse pad, you know, the telephones and all the handles and all the stuff inside the store. And I'm thinking, you know, this is horse, like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, we wipe down the computer, we wipe down the counter, we wipe down the telephone. But what about all the merchandise in the store that everybody is running around and touched? There's nobody going around and sanitizing all that stuff. So it's just like, you know, it was completely superficial. And I, I, I hate to say it, but I was like, I was really irritated about it. And I'm like, oh, it's time for my superficial wipe down. I'm doing a real thorough job here, guys. You know, and I would like, you know, just barely touch the phone with the damn bleach rag or whatever. Because it didn't make any sense to me. And it was just like, you know, I mean, here we wipe down the phone, but there's a file cabinet right over there that nobody touched. You know, there's all kinds of stuff all over the store that nobody would ever go around and sanitize. And then somebody would get sick, you know, and they'd be like, oh, we got to go and sanitize everything. And it was like, no, no, you don't, right? There's no point to any of this. So anyway, that was the way I kind of felt about it. All right. They will continue to raise rates to combat inflation and do their job no matter the cost, or they can do it harder in the future. Yeah, I'm I'm still curious on how far they plan on lifting those interest rates. Like how far can they really go with it? I think that they're I mean, I think they're going to go above neutral. And I think they're tr- going to try and get as much out of that as they can possibly get and you know, just simply so that they can have something to fight the next recession with. But then again, we don't know what the next recession is going to look like and what it is that they're going to try and used to paper over that recession. I mean, are they going to implement UBI or something kind of similar to that? Will it be the central bank digital currency that starts getting issued out? There's going to be a lot of questions. And then, like, what is it like? So if you have, like, the economic downturn of 2008, the great financial crisis due to the subprime mortgages going up, going going bad, well, that gave the Federal Reserve an excuse, right? Okay, we didn't see this happening. It was done in the private mortgage lending firms, whatever, right? So there was issues that happened within it that they needed to combat. Then they purchased all these toxic assets. Okay, so that kind of made a lot of sense to everybody. They were a little bit pissed about it, right? Not a little bit. A lot of people were very pissed. Government came in there and bailed out all these corporations, right? That kind of pissed a lot of people off. Well, this last recession during the pandemic, well, that was a lot different. So here, everybody was totally cool with it. They were like, oh, man, we don't have time to think about this. We are in the middle of, like, what is essentially, like, a major war or whatever. we got to fight this pandemic. So whatever it takes, we're going to have to do it. So we're going to have to set all the concerns aside and just go for it with all this money printing. And hopefully we can save the economy and save everybody's lives and all the other stuff that goes with it. Well, if they didn't have that pandemic then the Federal Reserve would have had a hell of a, the Federal Reserve and the government would have had a hell of a time trying to convince the people that we need to bail out the corporations, that we need to bail out everybody with stimulus checks and all that. I mean, people would, would have been so mad about that, like especially those who pay taxes. They would have been like, man, all those, you know, cheap bastards or those unworking, lazy bastards getting my money or getting the tax money or whatever. But if you're locked down at home and you don't have a job to go to, then there's really nothing that anybody can do to complain about that, even though they were complaining about it. It doesn't it. It's like almost like a futile argument, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to, to try and to try and argue that. But if you don't have the pandemic now, you have something that you can argue against. This doesn't make sense. Let them fail. Do all the other stuff. Well, Keynesian economics says you can't let them fail. And that's unfortunately the economic environment that we live in. We all live in as Keynesians. Now, 
I'm not like wanting that by any means. It just happens to be the case. And that means that you are going to have government bailing out, whether it's done through like the guise of a pandemic or just straight up, hey, we got to do this because there's a freezing up of the financial markets like during the 08 financial crisis. They have to have some sort of reason in order to combat that and the people have to accept it. They don't have to accept it, but they're going to accept it one way or the other. So that's the question that I come up with is like, okay, so during the next recession, the next downturn, what is it that's going to be in place? Like, what is it? Are we going to have war, natural disaster? Are we going to have a major economic fallout? Something has got to take place that will trigger the Federal Reserve to say, okay, we need to go and fight this. And I have a feeling that it's going to be like a sovereign corporate debt crisis that kicks into gear that really starts freaking everybody out. And if we have this global sovereign debt crisis happening, then the United States and the Federal Reserve can say, okay, listen, we need to take interest rates into negative territory. The only way to really do that is to pull the cash out of the system and get everybody locked into the digital central bank, you know, digital currency. Now, they're not going to straight up say it like we're going to take all the cash out of the system, but that's what they're going to have to do. If they try and take negative interest rates to your bank account, then you're going to pull the cash out. And that's going to be very damaging to the banking system if there's nobody has any money in the system. They all pull it out in cash. So if they take the cash out of the system, then you're going to have your money locked into the system and you won't have any other choice but to either suffer with a negative interest rate to your accounts or try to invest it or spend the money or do something with it. And that's really where I feel that the Federal Reserve is going to be moving towards things is to try and get a system situated in which that forces you to either invest your money or spend your money. But the last thing you're going to try and do is save your money with a negative interest rate that's attached to it. So anyway, that's kind of how I see things going down there. Uh, let's see. And their real estate problem. Let's see. Have you read up on any updates about China? I mean, I've been reading a lot about China lately. I mean, most of it that I find is seems that they are really suffering into that corporate crisis, that corporate debt crisis, especially when it comes to their property developers. And that's going to be moving into their manufacturers real soon because there's a major manufacturing slowdown taking place in, in China. That is going to start leading into the deflation. You're going to find deflation coming from the slowdown coming from China. Like, you know, if they have issues with manufacturing, they can't pump out enough stuff because people aren't buying it, then what is the best way to get people to buy stuff? You lower the prices. And that's where really where I feel that China is going to end up going is into a deflationary scenario that's going to start spreading around the world. It's going to start causing contagion, a contagion effect, you know. Um, once you have corporations starting to fail, that debt is leveraged onto other people's balance sheet, right? So if you have like Evergrande failing, everybody who owns Evergrande debt, right? They own the bonds or they own the commercial paper or something. All of a sudden their assets start to fall because Evergrande's you know, not gonna pay, then the asset that they held by Evergrande, that bond or that commercial paper, it falls in price. Now the people who held that their balance sheet becomes, you know, offset where they now have more liabilities and assets because the asset price has fallen. Well, then their credit rating goes to hell and the same thing starts going down the line. So like the people who own their debt, they start to suffer from the same thing. And this contagion can continue to impact many places all over the world. It doesn't happen to be isolated just to China. I mean, it can go, it can spread all over the world. Over 100, China, over 100 Chinese cities have stopped paying mortgages. Their banks are hurting hard. You'll be seeing banks falling soon. The Chinese government bailing out banks. Yeah, 
And that's, that's, you know, and that's the other thing that I've been saying for a long time. If you want to see what the corporate debt crisis or what it's going to look like, just keep an eye on China because the things that are happening there are going to eventually find their way around the world. That's really where it's like, you know, people just focus in on the United States and it's going to be questionable, like what it is that does happen here in the United States. Are we going to suffer a corporate debt crisis like China is experiencing with their with their property developers? It very well could. I mean, is it going to happen in the tech sector? Is it going to happen with our own home builders as they are nervous about trying to build homes that are going to lose value or drop in price? I mean, that could cause home builders to start going bankrupt as well. So we don't know what that's going to end up looking like. But keeping a, a close eye on China is a very good indicator or an example, you know, of what to what to kind of expect coming, you know, to other nations out there. Why don't you ever talk about BRICS in Zimbabwe going back to gold standard? Well, it's because Zimbabwe uses more dollars than they do gold. Now, granted, they do have that gold standard that they have started up where you can cash in a certain amount of Zimbabwe dollars to get your gold. But I have a feeling that on the open market, it's very much like what Russia was trying to do. And that the amount that you can transfer is so like unrealistic to to actually do it. Like... You know, the market value of what, like, you go to trade your gold in, like, you get very little cash back. And then if you go to buy gold, you're not going to get a whole lot of gold for your money. This is the this is the type of situation that goes into it. I don't see it becoming a fixed gold standard to the Zimbabwe dollar. Like, I just don't think that's going to be lasting. I think that's going to float and it's going to fluctuate. And most likely, it's not going to be very conducive to trade gold or Zimbabwe dollars either direction it's going to be more beneficial to the government and that they are able to take advantage of this you know idea that you're going to be able to cash your Zimbabwe dollars in for gold now let's talk about the BRICS nations for just a second the BRICS nations this is one that I keep I have a lot of people you know asking me about they're like okay when is the BRICS nation going to take over as like the world reserve currency or like the world dominance as far as the commodity trades and stuff like that? That is going to be a very difficult thing for them to take over on. Like they can play their game, right? They can say, you know, hey, the, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, we're going to be doing trades with each other, right? And we're going to, we're going to play this game with what it comes down to is that if you want to have the world reserve currency, so let's say that, you know, one of those nations decides that they're going to produce the world's reserve currency. It was going to be like China, or even if it was going to be a basket of these three, right? including gold inside of it. What you end up having to have is the trust of the rest of the world. And now when it comes to Brazil, Russia, India, China, or South Africa, I don't know if there's any one nation in there that anybody's willing to trust. Like, why would you trust any one of those? Is that like the place that you would be like totally comfortable putting all your money, retirements, your financing, your investments, you're totally cool with putting it with one of those nations. I, I can't imagine that. Now, it could be the case, but I just don't see that happening. So the lack of trust within that from the rest of the world, that's really where they have to try and gain that. Okay. And then the other part of it is, is that the world doesn't work on a gold standard, right? What it works on is debt and how much debt issuance there is out there. 
because the reason why the United States has the world reserve currency is because of two reasons. One, we have the world's biggest debt, right? We are able to supply the world with a safe and liquid asset like the U.S. Treasury. And there's very few nations out there who are going to be willing to go into that kind of debt in order to supply the world with a safe and liquid asset like the U.S. Treasuries. And then the other thing you have to do is actually supply the world with with dollars, which means that you need to buy their stuff in order to supply the world with dollars. So then you have to go into deficit trading. These are two things that it would be very difficult to try and overcome, right? Especially if you're trying to do it with a gold standard. Can it happen? Sure. I mean, it can happen, especially if people start losing trust in the U.S. dollar, which it does happen here in the United States. I mean, everybody thinks that inflation is going to kill them. But the United States is the only place where people don't seem to want dollars. Everybody else in the world loves the dollar and they will totally take it from you. So the idea that you can go out to the rest of the world and buy stuff with dollars is by far the most prevalent currency out there. So until those things change, you're not going to really see any of these other nations taking over, including the BRICS. Although they are building it, right? So it is something that is advancing, it is moving forward. But as far as something that's going to take over, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Will it happen eventually? Sure. But as far as getting prepared for that, I am not. <laughs> uh, central banks over six, own over 60% of the debt. Yeah, I can believe that. What stuff do people buy from the U.S.? Well, I mean, there's a, I mean there is a lot of stuff. I mean, mainly... The United States produces more food, exports more food per capita than any other nation out there. Now, there are nations that produce more food, like in pounds, like in money or whatever. China and India produce more food. But as far as exporting, we produce far more food than we consume, and we export a lot of it out of this nation. We also export cars. We export agricultural products like crazy. It's like lumber. Like a lot of people, that's another thing, like, you know, a lot of people don't realize how many logs we export out of this nation. And, you know, when lumber prices were running up really high, everybody says, well, obviously it's, you know, uh, greed or manipulation or something that's happening here because the loggers aren't getting any money for their timber. Like the timber prices haven't gone up what the lumber prices did. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me because lumber is a domestically manufactured and consumed item. Now, we do ship lumber out of the nation. But for the most part, lumber consumption and production stays right here in the United States. What we do ship out of here is a lot of logs, and those go to China. But China gave us the finger on logs back during the trade wars. They were like, hey, you know, we don't need your logs. We got Russia over here who's more than willing to send us logs. And they became the number one forestry exporter. Russia did, right? I think Canada was number one, and then Russia took over from that. So... It made a lot of sense to me that all of a sudden you got this log demand that was going over to Asia, all of a sudden just turn off, right? You got hit by these trade wars. Well, if that's the case, then all of a sudden now you're going to have a glut of logs here, but the lumber industry doesn't change. It's like, you know, there's still the domestic manufacturers and the domestic demand, right? So, yeah, there might have been a lot of logs because you weren't shipping them over to China, but it's not like the United States can consume all those logs, and, and produce it into lumber. So there was a glut of logs during a time when there was, you know, a shortage of lumber, which is kind of weird to think about, but that's what the case was. All right. Uh, if the debts are dumped, it's still deflationary, right? If debts are dumped. Um, well, 
okay, so you have to define like everybody. It's hard. To, a lot of times, deflation, inflation. It's defined by people differently. Like a lot of people, when they hear the word inflation, they immediately go to prices. Prices is what they they think about when they hear inflation. That's actually price inflation. Inflation is the expansion of money and credit. Deflation is the destruction of money and credit. So when you have people paying off their debts, paying off their student loans, credit card, house loans, car loans, the U.S. government stops issuing out debt, starts paying off those U.S. treasuries. When you have people who are backing away from issuing out credit, taking out credit, and then start paying off their debts, that is destruction of money and credit. That is deflationary within itself. So yes, if debts were to be dropped or you know gone away or whatever you want to put it, because you can't, debts just don't go away. Somebody has to take a loss from that. But if you were to basically like wipe out debts, you know, get rid of all the car loans, all the house loans, all the student loan debts, all the government debt, you get rid of all the debts out there, the dollar would cease to exist. There wouldn't be any money. Right? All money is based on debt, and if there was no debt, there would be no money. Funny thing about it is, is that there's not enough money to pay off all the debt. And that's the reason why we're going to see a dollar bubble at some point. It's because when people finally decide, okay, I do want out of the dollar. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I'm, I'm bailing out. And if everybody has this idea, then what they're going to have to do is try and get a hold of as many dollars as this, as possible. Excuse me, guys. They're going to have to get a hold of as many dollars as possible in order to pay their debts off. And that's where the major problem is, is that there won't be enough dollars to pay off all the debts. So at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, there's still going to be debts out there that people want to try and get out of. And there's not going to be enough dollars and they will do whatever they can to get those dollars. You see where I'm kind of getting at? So if you have a deflationary scenario where the Federal Reserve is contracting their money supply, they're pulling in a lot of those Federal Reserve notes, those, those liabilities, that's dollar destruction. At the same time, you got a lot of people who had taken out debts thinking that they were going to try and beat the inflation scenario coming. You take out you know, a lot of debt at low interest rates, and that way you can combat the inflation. Well, if there's a deflationary scenario coming where there's less dollars in the system, you got liquidity drying up, which is happening all around the globe right now. And you can just, you know, that's the reason why you're seeing so much sovereign and corporate debt crisis happening is because of this liquidity drying up. Well, if you have that happening, then you're going to have a demand for the dollar that's going to go up and it's going to, it's going to create a dollar bubble. Like there is no way out of the dollar without creating a dollar bubble. And the only way that you're going to have like a hyperinflation scenario is if you do not have the dollar as the world reserve currency. So as long as the dollar is the world reserve currency, you're not going to have a hyperinflation scenario come from that. I, I mean, the reason why you saw hyperinflation from these other nations is because they didn't have the world reserve currency. They were trying to outrun their debt by printing up money. We don't we don't do the same thing. Like the Federal Reserve doesn't have to be the buyer of the debt. The rest of the world could buy the U.S. debt. And that actually happens when you have a scary scenario happening out there and people are looking for a safe haven place they just they flock to the united states it's just i don't know i don't know when that'll change and i don't know why it is that people have this perception out there that you know the united states has always been the safe haven and always will be but that seems to be the case today and i don't think that's going to change yeah. uh bankruptcies is basically like paying off a debt ledger wise then dollars leaving the system yeah 
What happens when they stop buying the debt and start dumping dollars? When, okay, what happens when they stop buying the debt and start dumping dollars? When the Federal Reserve stops buying debt or when the rest of the world stops buying the debt? Because even if the rest of the world stops buying debt, they still, like, that's fine. Like, even if they didn't go into the United States and didn't buy the debt, okay, so we'll say that happens. The United States interest rates start to go up, right, because they need to find a buyer out there. And if the Federal Reserve doesn't step up and do that, then eventually those interest rates are going to get to a point where the investors are going to be like, man, that's a good price for me, man. Like, I am totally down with that yield. Now, you would have to have some sort of, like, event taking place where, like, nobody wants the dollars. They don't want to get paid in dollars. They don't want the dollars that they have in their pockets. They want out of it all completely. Now, if that sort of scenario was going to happen, again, we have to fall back onto you got to get out of debt, right? And so all the people who do want shed of this stuff, well, if they want shed of it and they have a car loan, house loan, whatever debts that they have out there that are due in dollars, they don't have any other choice. They still have to get the dollars first, even if they don't want them in order to get out of those debts. So even if everybody just didn't even want to be involved in it anymore, it's still going to create a dollar bubble in order to get out of that thing. That's really where I'm kind of you know, that I'm seeing this stuff. And I, I mean, I just don't see it happening any other way. Yeah. You know? uh, let's see. DB, thank you very much for the $10. If you don't want dollars, why pay debts off? Hyperinflation would be around the corner and pay off the cheap. If no inflation, just default. I see gold bubble before I see the dollar bubble. See, now I see the, I see gold and dollar bubbling together. Like, as people are freaking out, like for that exact thing, okay? So if you don't want dollars, why pay off the debts? Well, because the people who you owe the debt to, they they do want it, right? So they can still foreclose on your house or, comp, you know, repo your car or whatever, right? So you still need to pay off your debts, even if you don't want the dollars. Now, does it necessarily mean that you're going to? You might just say, it's good, I don't even want that thing. You can go ahead and take it all. Well, that could be the case. But then again, when you do that and you dissolve that, that asset that basically that loan out there well when you dissolve that asset you are basically pulling the liability in with it as well that's going to shrink the amount of liquidity that is out there which is going to cause the dollar to go up in value so again like i just don't see any other way that the dollar doesn't bubble at some point if people are planning on getting out of it um now, if people do get to the point that they're scared, like the whole world is scared and they're like, man, I don't have debt and I don't have dollars and I'm not going to get into either one of those things. Well, then what are you going to get into? Like you can take physical items. That's one thing, you know, but really there's nothing out there that is going to be recognizable around the world as something that carries wealth like gold, like gold and silver are it. There's really nothing else. Now, on a lesser extent, you can kind of consider the cryptocurrencies out there, but even still, that is not really a physical item that you that you have in your hand. I mean, it's just a computer program that you're hoping that other people want to use. Gold is physical. It's in your hand, and there's no way that it's going to change. So if you are in a situation in which that people are scared of the dollar, and they're going to want to get out of it, and they don't have any debts to pay, and they need to find a place to put their wealth, there's nothing else that really is going to work out there other than gold. So at the same time that you see dollar destruction happening or debt destruction causing a dollar bubble, people freaking out about being in the dollar, they're going to move into gold and you can see these two elevate at the exact same time. 
how long that lasts, I don't know. I mean, eventually one's going to win out over the other. And if you have a situation in which that dollars are being considered like being nervous to be into, then you're going to find at some point the dollar will pop and then that will be it. Nobody's going to want it. It won't be any use for it anymore. And, you know, gold will take over. I can only assume that there's going to be something else in play by that time. I doubt gold is going to end up being a world reserve currency. Most likely it's going to end up being like a basket of currencies, SDR, the Fed coin, something like that. Yeah. Um, metals are safe haven for your hard-earned wealth. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's always... As, I mean, I... I'd, I would love to agree with that. I mean, I really would because it makes a lot of sense. But the problem that I have with it is, is that I have been buying into silver since like 2009 or something like that. And I bought into silver all the way up to $50 an ounce in 2011, right? Now, I thought for sure back then that we were going to have a hyperinflation scenario. You got all this quantitative easing going on. You got people freaking out about the economy. You had this move into metals like crazy. And it was just like, it was on. And when it ran up to $50 an ounce, and I was thinking, man, I am the smartest person in the world. I mean, everybody should have listened to me when it came to silver. And then after that, it trickled all the way down into the teens, and I hadn't sold a single ounce of it. So all the wealth that I had, wealth, you know, all the money that I had during that time that I dumped into silver, I am, I, it's gone. Like, I, if I was to sell out now, it would be gone. So this is like 10 years later, 12 years later, I'm still waiting to get my wealth back. Now, that is a very discouraging place to be if that's what you were trying to do is to hold on to your wealth. I don't look at it like that anymore. I did at one time. I looked at silver was going to go up to, you know, $500 an ounce and I was going to be super wealthy from it and I have all kinds of money. I don't I don't see it that way anymore. I look at silver as an insurance policy. I look at it as something that is outside of that third-party risk, something that I do not have to worry about economic fallout or somebody paying back or an envelope coming in the mail or an app getting loaded up. I don't worry about any of that stuff when I have silver in hand, but that's what I look at it as, as an insurance policy. I don't know how, what my average is anymore. I don't pay attention to that. I really don't care what I paid for my silver. The only thing I do care about is how much I have. That's the only thing I care about. How many ounces do I have? And I look at it as that insurance policy forever. Like that's like, I don't have an idea. Like this is the thing. I would love for silver to stay at 18, $20 an ounce until I am like 75 years old or 80 years old. Then I want it to go to $500 an ounce. That way I can start selling it off. That's really what I want. Like I want silver to stay suppressed forever. And I know a lot of people probably would argue with that. I don't care. That's not what I'm looking at silver for. I'm not looking at it as something that's going to make me a bunch of money. I want it to protect me. And that's what it's doing, especially if it's cheap. I mean, if you have it at $18, $20 an ounce, there's very little downside risk risk to that, right? You know, I mean, even if it was to go down to $15 an ounce or even $10 an ounce, it's still, it's not that bad. I mean considering what the losses you can experience within the stock market or housing or all kinds of stuff out there, a 50% hit on silver is only going to be a very short, minimal time and you'll be, and it will come back up. I mean, there's going to be too many buyers coming in at that level. Either that or 
the dollar is going to be so strong that even if it is $15 an ounce, you'll still be able to buy more with your ounce of silver than you could with the $15 you can today. So that's kind of one of the things that I see. It's just like I don't look at it as something that is going to make me a bunch of money. I just look at silver as the protection insurance policy that it really is. I mean, because if I looked at it for building wealth and it didn't do anything but take wealth from me, you know? Uh, let's see here. We are all being played. Well, it, yeah, I mean, I guess, it, you know, what are you going to do about it, though? I mean, if you recognize that you're being played, well, then do something about it, right? I mean, don't fall into it. Don't don't allow them to, to do the things. I mean, I don't know. Like, what is, what is it that you're being played? I mean, I look at things out there and I say, okay, well, yeah, it's difficult out there. So if I did go buy a new car and make payments on it what happens if i can't make the payment well i got this car and i got an old car and as much as i would love to have a new car i can't bring myself to buy it i can't do it it's just like i'd rather save my money and you know be prepared for a downturn so i mean being played you know what do you do like you could have gone out there and bought a new car when everybody else did with the stimulus money but to me, that's being played. Like you're buying an overvalued car and you're paying an interest rate on an overvalued car. I mean, I'd rather drive a $500 car and keep my money. <laughs> Buy solar generator of any size. Okay. Uh, they want to get you to pay for Alpha Fold DB. You have to have Google could account. I don't know what they're talking about. Okay. Can a possible water shortage ever happen? Um, yeah, I could see that taking place. I mean, you have droughts that happen all over the place. So, I mean, we've had examples of water shortages. It's really weird to think of a water shortage being from the Pacific Northwest, considering that the rain comes down like nine months out of the year. So it's hard to kind of grasp the, the idea that there's going to be a water shortage. Like for me, it's just like, I don't see that, but it's possible, especially like it'd be a lot more concerning if you lived in the desert or something like that. Um, it's drying up real quick. Yeah. Yes. Every system requires power to run the pumps. Yeah. All right. It's time for nonviolent non-compliance. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, what do they call that? Um, civil disobedience. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, what's your favorite beer? You know, I, I used to drink a lot of beer. I used to drink a lot of it. And, um, when I enjoyed beer, I really enjoyed like a lot of the micro brews, especially like, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, they are like, we're famous for having like micro brews everywhere. Um, so I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed drinking those, but I haven't had a beer in like seven years. I haven't drank any beer. Um, there's some good non-alcoholic ones out there, um, that are doing much better. Um, I had an IPA over at the workers during bingo, um, that they have over there. And those ones are really good. I mean, you would question whether or not they actually had alcohol in them, but you know, that's the only beer I really drink. So, uh, let's see here. What was that? Before Jekyll Island, there was no fed. Yeah. Um, that's true. I mean, we did have central banks in the past, like an attempted central banks, national bank and stuff, but the federal reserve, yeah, that was hacked out 
at the creature, you know, from the uh, from the Jekyll Island meeting, and the creature from Jekyll Island is an excellent book that talks about that. Um, Portland was the best micro brew city I have ever been to. Yeah, Portland is just loaded up with them. Uh, I'm at a pace, bro. I left you a like. Thank you. Oh, I'm out. Peace, bro. Okay, I get it. Thank you very much for the like, man. I really appreciate that. Silver Junkie Goldman. Uh, cricket flower coming soon to a shelf near you. You know, all these people eating bugs. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're just from an area that isn't abundant with food. I mean, I don't know. Because, like, I am not concerned about, like, food shortages. Like, I'm concerned to the... To the to the point that it's going to get very expensive for food, but there's not going to be so little food that you won't be able to find it. Like it's just going to cost so damn much that you're not going to be able to afford it. That's the difference. So if you can't afford food and you want to eat bugs, then go for it. But I'm going to figure out like, I'm not getting a new car. I'm going to be eating ribeyes. I don't, you guys can eat bugs. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> All right. Um, what about drought, droughts like farmers not getting enough water for their crops causing food shortages? Yeah, it's going to happen. And you're going to find that the farmers who do have, you know, adequate water are going to get very rich. <laughs> and then what's going to happen is as food prices move up, it's going to it's going to be the same thing that happens throughout the rest of the economy. When it comes to the bullwhip effect, if you have food shortages that happen. And, the, and again, the United States produces far more food than we consume. So there's going to be plenty of food here. It's just that the rest of the world is going to be willing to pay a high price for it. So the price of the food here in the United States is going to go up as well. When the price of food goes up, the farmers are going to be like, oh, yeah, it's time to expand, right? So they're going to start taking out debt in order to expand their farms to produce more food because, why? You're making a lot of money off of it. And people who are seeing these farmers make a lot of money, they're going to want to get in on that action. So they're going to start taking out debts to try and increase their farms as well to produce this food that's really expensive. Well, the next thing you know, you're going to have all these farmers producing far more food then what is being consumed out there and you're going to have a price in food price. You're going to have the price of food drop and farmers are going to start going out of business. And that's where you're going to have the government going, oh man, we can't have all these farmers going out of business. Here's a bunch of money to burn your crop and dump your milk and do all this other stuff because you guys have overproduced your food. <laughs> right? and, and that'll keep the food prices elevated and keep all these people from going out of business. Um, I, I, no, I don't see mushroom clouds happening. Um, all right. What's up, UE from Bitcoin? Thank you so much, man. Uh, let's see here. Do you think we'll experience another lockdown? Um, I doubt it. I, I, I doubt that we're going to we're going to see another lockdown. Um, not like not like what we had experienced before. Um, and really, like, I think I, I honestly think that the lockdown that happened in China, the last one was to slow their manufacturing down. I think that they, I really honestly think that they are trying to prevent that Cantillon effect from happening where, because they're producers of, of all the stuff, right? So they're exporting more than anybody else is out there. That's new money coming into the system. Well, as that new money starts coming into the system, it starts driving people into luxuries. And this is one of the things that we're finding over there in China is that people are like, you know, wanting to increase their lives, right? They want to buy houses and cars and do all this other stuff. Well, what's that? That'll eventually get to a point where this demand for luxuries is going to grow and they're going to start competing with foreign imports. So 
that's really where I feel China is going to try and stop it. And same thing with the United States. Like, they tried to prevent it from happening, too. Like, if you lock down the ports, you lock down the rail system, you lock down the trucks, well, then all this stuff that you have ordered, all this inventory and all this luxuries coming from foreign nations coming into the United States, well, if you can stop that from happening, right, or at least try to prevent it, well, then you can make this kind of case going on in the United States where we don't have this effect going on, where all the dive into luxuries isn't happening because it's locked out of the United States. But it's just a matter of time, and that stuff is eventually going to come in. And same thing over in China, where eventually they're not going to be able to help it, and that new money is going to start driving people into luxuries. So this is really where I feel that a lot of the lockdowns was trying to prevent that stuff from happening, right? stop the inventory from traveling through the nation and stop manufacturing stuff but eventually it's all going to kick back into gear and the cycle will continue thoughts on china and taiwan possibly war maybe i i i don't know i guess it could i mean i i don't know um again i don't really follow a lot of this stuff just simply because it's more political and propaganda and stuff like that that it just makes it very difficult to try and determine what is actual and what isn't and the reasonings behind it all um most of the time that when it comes to like economic or macro changes that usually has to happen after the fact of a war so it's not like again I, I don't I don't know like if a war breaks out between you know Taiwan and China then yeah that's gonna have some major impact on it but the thoughts of it going into it I don't know like to me there's gonna be more propaganda that that hypes that up you know do I have any pets um yeah I have a dog I have a really old pit bull her name is Jersey she's a beautiful dog uh, Simon see my food comment or is it Simon Reef food okay you might be able to get food but what do you think the millions that can't will do they will go where the food is um that's another thing like if it gets to that point that would be like the perfect way to introduce a central bank digital currency right i mean there's plenty of food here you just can't afford it so here here's some central bank digital currency go get your food right and then people will be like, oh, yeah, give it to me. Give me that central bank digital currency. They'll beg for it. We need at least 100 thumbs up, people. Yeah, well, we got 164. So thank you, everybody who has been hitting the thumbs up. I really do appreciate that. Uh, getting laid off from a bank job. So many closing in my area. Yeah, and I could see that as less people are taking out debt. Again, that's like a deflationary scenario, right? If you have banks closing, you have less people taking out bank or taking out loans less mortgages being issued, less car loans being issued, you know, all this, like, people are nervous about the future, so they're not taking out debt. I mean, this is debt destruction. This is dollar destruction. That's deep deflation happening right there. Now, until that has an impact on the prices, people won't recognize it for that. All right, Simon nailed it. Oh, well, thank you. All right. If you want to follow the wars without all the hype, check out Council on Future Conflict on YouTube. They do a decent job. Okay, well, that might be a place to go to. Council on Future Conflict. Yeah, go check out that channel, everybody. People, okay, five people in my family recently got laid off from a bank industry, from the bank industry. Yeah, um, Gucci, Gucci, Gaga. Okay, uh, let's see here. I work at the government contractor... 
and even we have laid people off in the last six months because we overhired for the IRND. Yeah, um, and I'm going to say that that's probably going to be a case for a lot of people out there um, that they have overhired or that they hired people who were not like qualified for the job, basically just hiring warm bodies. Uh, those people are probably going to end up losing their jobs, like laid off. Anybody who is in the industry for loans or mortgages or car loans, stuff like that, those type of industries are going to be very difficult just simply because people are nervous about the higher interest rates, the higher interest rates, nervous about recession. So, and then not to mention that there's just less cars being completed right now due to the fact that there were so many shortages out there. So with all that said, I mean, yeah, you can see where the financial industry is probably going to continue to, you know, see some pain until people are ready to start borrowing money again. Uh, massive layoffs incoming stack as much as you can yeah uh, let's see here you sound educated to us well thank you Dave I appreciate it uh, Peter Lynch beat the streets okay any info on concrete costs um, I don't like I wish I knew more about the concrete industry or the steel industry because um, there's a lot that can be said within those I don't know, um, I don't have really any information to, to talk about those two particular things other than, you know, the, the experiences that I have had, um, what is it just recently? What did I have? Um, so I had some, um, price increases just happened. I believe that was to the metal, but it wasn't much. It was like, it was just a slight increase on it. And from what I was gathering from some of the other metal suppliers out there, that there has been a pretty decent drop as far as their sales go. And I can only assume that if you give that decent drop some time, that you're going to find that the demand or the competition out there will start getting a little bit more fierce. And you'll find that these metal companies are going to start dropping their prices just to stay competitive or to be competitive so they can get more sales. All right, Peter Schiff said gold will be $3,000 an ounce soon. What's your thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen or won't happen, but then again, I thought that silver was going to go up to $500 an ounce too. So, like, to think that it's going, that and that it won't go there, well, I can't say that it won't go there. I mean, it could go there, and there's no reason why it wouldn't go there. Especially if you have the world freaking out and trying to get into something that's going to protect their wealth and they are scared of the dollar, then I could definitely see gold going up. But, I mean, I'm not trying to say anything negative about Peter Schiff. That dude is by far my favorite economist. I learned more from Peter Schiff than just about anybody else out there. I know that when I was first looking into studying macroeconomics, Peter Schiff was the very first interviews that I wanted to go and hear. So, like I said, I learned more from Peter Schiff than just about anybody else out there. Now, when I say this, I mean I mean it in the absolute respect. But Peter Schiff is a gold salesman. So there is nothing that he says that will ever deter you away from gold. And to believe that the gold price will go up to $3,000 an ounce will encourage you to try and buy into the gold market before that happens. Those are all sales tactics. And believe me, I understand them because I'm a salesman. I know what they are. 
Now, with that being said, I'm not saying that Peter Schiff is wrong. He, like I said, that dude knows more about the economy than just about anybody else out there. But never does he ever talk about the dollar strengthening. Ever. And that's what happened over the last six months here is the dollar has gotten much stronger. So, you know, take it for what it is. I mean, is he wrong? I don't think so. I think he's right. I think he is absolutely right. But that path to $3,000 may not be from where we are today to 3000 It could very well drop in the meantime. If it does, I am hope I, that I buy into gold. I mean, I, I hope I am smart enough to think at the time that now is the time to get into gold. And, you know, considering that, you know, if you are a tr like a, a precious metal investor or not even an investor, like a stacker you know, or whatever, then you don't really pay attention to what the prices are. You just try and accumulate a little bit every month or every couple of weeks or however much you do it. So, again, like I don't think I don't think it's going to be a straight path to three thousand dollars. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Like. When I say soon, what did he say in the next year? Uh, Peter Schiff said gold will be three thousand dollars an ounce soon. I don't. I guess that depends on what soon is. Um, but I don't. I don't think soon. All right. Why so many gold bugs in here? Geez, that's not really a great asset, folks. Uh, again, I think it depends on what it is that you're looking to do with your gold. I mean, if you're looking for it to try and make you a bunch of money, like you're going to become really wealthy by buying gold today and then sell it into the future, that's the greater fool concept, right? You're planning on selling it to a greater fool. That's not an investment. An investment is something that's going to pay you over time. Now, buying gold is an insurance policy. There's nothing else that does it quite like gold does. So if you are looking to try and, you know, make a bunch of money off of gold, then yeah, you are speculating. That's what you are doing. But if you are holding on to gold because you're trying to protect your wealth, then you are buying it as an insurance policy. There's two very different ways or two different reasonings for buying gold. And a lot of people just kind of look at it and it's just like, oh, you're one of them gold bugs. Well, are you classifying me as a gold bug for insurance policy or are you classifying me as a gold bug because I'm planning on selling it to a, you know, for a higher price into the future? I mean, these are two, like, not the same thing, but yet, you know, at the end of the day, they do the same thing. Right. You, you both go to the gold, you know, go to the coin store, you both pick up gold, you both walk home, you, you put it in your safe spot. And one person says, I'm planning on selling it. The other person says, I'm planning on using that for my insurance. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you both did the exact same thing. You know? <laughs> I had to bust that one out. Let's see here. Just fact. Every day, everyone uses upwards of 6,000 non-fuel burning petroleum items. Interesting. Gold is an inflationary hedge, which means if we see deflation, then gold will go down, not up. Okay. Okay, let's talk about that. Gold has set to, here we are in the worst inflationary environment that we have ever experienced as, you know, in modern day. I mean, unless you're like 80 years old and you really don't re remember the inflation scenario that we are experiencing now. Not saying that. I mean, there's plenty of people who recognize it. But well, I guess I'm saying is it's like, you know, I mean, I'm 46 years old and I don't remember the inflation from the early 80s other than the adults talking about it. And... But if you had purchased gold at any time during any of this, it didn't protect it didn't protect you. It didn't protect you from inflation. So inflation's running rampant and gold dropped in price. So is it a protection from inflation? 
maybe long term, maybe if you're talking over the course of 30, 40 years, you know, you might have some sort of protection from inflation from it. But even still then, investing into real estate or stocks or even miners, gold miners would have been more profitable than actually buying the physical item. I know a lot of people argue with that, but unless you happen to time the gold market just perfect, then most likely you're not going to do very well beating inflation with gold. Like it does work, but there's so many other things out there that would have built your wealth up so much higher than gold would have. So again, like I don't necessarily look at it as a protector from an inflationary scenario. What it is, is an insurance policy to protect you from a possible inflation scenario. That's it. And because it doesn't, it, it never once has it done it for me. Like I can't name any time in the past, you know, since I started buying precious metals that it has protected me from inflation. It, it hasn't done that. <laughs> All right. Uh, remember to smash that like button for UE. Thank you. Yeah, 325 of you up in here. I would really appreciate it if you guys hit that like button. It'll get more people, you know, because it gets YouTube to, you know, it kicks off the YouTube algorithm and starts spreading spreading the video out there for more people to, to see. And we'll get more people up in here when you do that. Um, better, better of investing in brass than gold, if you know what I mean. Um, again, you know, like, you know, I... I I talked to a guy who said he had like 50,000 rounds or something. I'm like, good Lord. Like, what are you going to do with 50,000 rounds? Like I have 5,000 rounds of 22s, right? And you can blast off 522 rounds in like no time at all. Like a box of 522 rounds is gone in no time. So 5,022 rounds really isn't that much. But when you have like 50,000 223s or something like that's, that's an insane amount of ammunition. Unless you are like an average, an avid shooter, like who's somebody who's just like, you know, this is their like pastime, their hobby, or even maybe even be their profession or something. Unless you're doing like there is like, that is an insane amount of ammo. And there's no way you're going to be able to run with that unless you already have it packed in your car or something. But if you're like on foot, you're, you're not even taking even a portion of that you know, 522 rounds, you could fit that in your front pockets, you know? So, I mean, loading up on, again, loading up on brass. I mean, yeah, a lot of it is a good idea, but like an insane amount of it, what are you going to do with it all? I mean, unless you plan on fighting war, then I guess it would be good to have it. You know? Brass is for after the shit hits the fan. Yeah. And then again, like, I don't want to be in that scenario. Like I, you will create the environment that you that you are thinking about. So if you are of the mindset that you have the government coming down and that the whole world's going to come to an end and that we're going to live in this like Mad Max world and that, you know, there's going to be gangs and fighting and war and shooting and break-ins and mayhem and stuff like that, you're going to find it. You, you're, you will go and figure out how it is that that world will exist for you if that's what's in your head. Now, I don't, I don't think that way. Like I think of like enjoying like beautiful, you know, scenery and good food and, you know, happy environments and stuff like that. That's the type of stuff that I think about that I'm looking forward to having coming into the future. So that's what I expect to get from it. Now, if you expect like fighting and war and killing and stuff like that, then you're probably going to find it, you know, and so be careful on what you put in your head and what you think about. Brass is a Mad Max hedge. Yep. 
Okay, gold price is suppressed via paper. Uh, hypothecators, you cannot hypothecate BTC due to the ledger and volatility. Look at the leverage that was just wiped out of BTC. Yeah, um, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting to think about that. Like you know how the. Like, a lot of people don't really understand how it is that the precious metals are manipulated with paper. And if you could imagine, like, you have an ounce of silver. Well, if there's a demand for that ounce of silver, then it's going to fetch a price. But then you find people out there who say, like, you know, do you really want this physical silver? Wouldn't you rather have a contract that would pay you as if you had physical silver? And if the price goes up, you don't really have to take your physical anywhere you can just sell your your paper off and we'll put it in an etf form so now you have one ounce of physical silver but then you have all these other people out there who create these derivatives and now you got paper silver that equals like a hundred ounces to the one ounce of physical that's out there so now you have a hundred ounces available for the one ounce that actually exists that is what suppresses the price of, of silver now, there was a time when they're like people wanted to get together and like, oh, we're going to put it to these to these uh, silver manipulators out there, because when you sell this silver out there in paper, you're essentially selling it short. You don't really have it. Right. You're going to go out there and, and sell the paper. Well, if you can get enough people out there to start driving the price of silver way up, right, you get it up to 50, 60, 100 dollars an ounce. Well, everybody who has these paper contracts can cash them in and say, hey, I want my I want my silver. Right? And if they have enough of those physical paper contracts, they can ask for the physical silver from it. Well, that means that the people on the other end who sold that paper off, either they need to come up with the cash for that expensive silver, like if it goes up to $500 an ounce, they need to come up with that cash for it, or they need to go out there and physically buy the silver to, fu to fulfill these contracts, these future contracts out there for silver. So that was the case that took place back in 2011. And Max Kaiser was at the helm of this, and, you know, and I don't mind calling him out for this because he was the one who was saying it. Crash J.P. Morgan, buy silver, $500 an ounce if you believe it or if you want it. And so I was like, I'm for it, man. Let's go, Max. Let's, let's take out these big banks. Let's destroy J.P. Morgan. Let's crash J.P. Morgan, $500 an ounce. Well, silver got up to $50 an ounce, and he's selling one-ounce rounds with his image on it. And I'm thinking, what's going on here, right? And then silver crashes. And I thought, damn, that was a pump and dump scheme. That was a total pump and dump. They were jump, trying to drive people into silver. $500 an ounce if you want it. Crash JP Morgan, buy silver. Everybody was running into silver. And Max was selling silver off. All right? Okay. I, when I saw that happening, I'm thinking, you know what? I am not jumping into this game again. I am not going to try and crash a particular stock or a hedge fund or something else like that by buying into a particular item, right? Just like the whole GameStop thing. I was just like, nope, I'm backing away from that. I am not even touching that thing. So this is really where like, I feel that a lot of like, you know, crashing of JP Morgan or anything else like that with the paper markets, I just don't see it happening. At some point, what you're gonna find is that there's going to be a manufacturer out there, you know, a cell phone producer or something. And they're going to need silver to produce their product. And they're not going to find it out there. And it doesn't matter if you have 100 paper ounces of silver or 1,000 paper ounces. When they want the physical, and they'll pay for any price for it. Right? 
So that's really where I think the manipulation is going to come and come to an end is that at some point, the people who physically purchase this stuff to manufacture with it, if they can't get it, that's it. The paper game will be over and the price will go through the roof as they will pay any price to get it. And that's really where I think the manipulation will end. All right. Put the crook in jail as soon as possible for the good of the country. Cash is king when the system gets hacked or fails. I tell you that much. All of Canada was out on all ATMs a little while ago. Yeah, and you saw how how much the people freaked out about it. Like, if you do not have cash in hand, if you do not have a backup, if you are reliant on that third party, then you will suffer the consequences from that. And don't be there. I mean, be prepared for, for a bank shutdown. And if you're prepared for it, then you don't really care. I mean, you care enough that, you know, you don't want to lose your money in it. But you won't care so much that you won't be able to, like, you know, feed yourself or feed your family or do the things that you need to do because you were expecting that there was going to be a shutdown. Uh, let's see. Civil unrest is not as far off as people think, especially if you listen to people talk about not accepting election results. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I gave up on elections a long time ago, you know, especially because, like I said before, you know, Oregon is a mail-in ballot. So we have three electoral votes when it comes to voting for president. By the time they even get to our votes, they've already, like, the president's already been chosen. He's like, you know, he's over there accepting it, giving his, like, you know, his speech and everything else. I mean, it's just like they're voting in Oregon is just like it's a waste of time. It doesn't do anything. Like I said, like three electoral votes and then we're the last ones to count them so what difference does it make cash is king but food is the emperor above all kings yep uh what happened to bingo night oh man i still do bingo i do bingo every sunday at the workers every sunday night if you guys are in the area you should swing by check out the workers on sunday uh starts at 6 30 and i was doing a live stream with the bingo game and um I think it was going pretty well for the most part, but because there was people who were drinking in the background and, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to be like on camera being like intoxicated or something like that. I had to stop the, the live stream on it. Um, I really want to get it going again because really, I think most of the people even at the game didn't really mind having the live stream going. Um, but there was a few people who I think felt a little uncomfortable being, you know, being drunk and then on, on a live stream or being on camera. So, and then I don't remember anybody even really being that drunk. Like there was a couple of people who were having a good time, but that's it. You know, anyway, uh, let's see here. Stack bags of rice, beans, pasta, and wheat flour. Don't stack cash or coins. Um, I don't know. I think stacking cash and coins is a good idea. And, you know, especially like nickels. Right. And I know a lot of people laugh at that one, but nickels are what they you know, they are worth their face value. I don't know about today. I haven't checked it, but for the most part, like you can take all your wealth, every bit of money that you have and put it into nickels, just regular old five cent, you know, United States, five cent coins, the, the United States nickel and just keep all your wealth in there. And that if we ever have like a time where you run into a hyperinflation scenario or anything that happens you'll be able to sell those nickels off for the weight value because it's going to be exceeding the face value of it. So you can actually make money off of that. 
Not saying that you can melt nickels down, but if there ever came a situation in which they were worth a lot more, then, well, then you have, like, silver quarters in your hand. Like, you know, back in the day, wouldn't it have been awesome to have, like, a laundromat in 1962, you know? Then just a few years later, all the coins coming into that laundromat would have been, you know, you would have been able to pull silver out up until, you know, the final end there, where it was just, like, the copper clads that were coming in. So if you have nickels and you held on to them today, and we run into an issue where there's dollar destruction and the value of the nickel goes through the roof, well, then you'd be able to sell the nickels off for a profit. If it goes the other way and we end up with a strong dollar and the nickel doesn't go exceed the face value and it drops far below it, then you could spend the nickel at the face value. You just go and spend the money. So no matter what, if you held nickels, then you can't lose. There is no way you could possibly lose by doing that. <laughs> Rents will double. All right, stack all of them. Do you have an Indian casino in or near Astoria? No. Um, there are casinos down the coast a little ways over in, like, Lincoln City. Uh, rents will double. Yeah, rents have already doubled here. Um, better to have some of everything because you know how Newton's Law works. Uh, the newer nickels are only lightly coated with nickel material. Too much time to separate old nickels from the old ones. Uh, exactly. Diversify. Lionel Richie was a good investment and was Gary... It was Gary U.S. Bonds? I don't know that. All-nighter. The five-cent rant was really interesting. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that is that is kind of an interesting thing. Pre-82 uh, pennies. That's the other thing. Pre-82 pennies are worth like twice the face value of it. So you can double your money in value and wealth, like actual physical value by converting all your money over into pre-81 pennies and then double your money by having copper. Yeah. A stock, a stock full of nickels is a good weapon. Damn right it is. Definition of recession changed since when? I don't know. Like, I mean, to me, I've always heard a recession is, you know, two quarters of negative GDP growth. That's that's kind of what I've always heard a recession as. You can define it as anything you want. We can say, like, hey, you know, like, you know, you can define it by unemployment or, you know, the dual mandate of low and stable prices or whatever like you know what is it that's that causes a recession when you have inflation above a certain point does that cause re you know recession is it is it unemployment to a certain point it's very difficult to say okay this is the technical recession right that's two quarters of negative gdp growth but if you change the way the recession is today you can say like well the recession back in the day that was caused by this and whatever and then you can say well that wasn't really the same recession that we're considering today. So like, I don't know, like changing the definition of like what inflation is, what a recession is, what employment is, all that stuff. Like it's only to make the numbers look better or to make the people feel more comfortable about the situation. It doesn't change the reality of it. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I haven't caught a silver quarter or diamond over 10 years. Really? That's a bummer. We pulled, um, Let's see, I pulled four silver dimes out in one month. Well, like about a six-week period, I guess. Came out of the rolls, uh, cracking open dimes, and pulled out three um, United States uh, silver dimes and one Canadian silver dime, and that was pretty cool. And then a couple of weeks ago, I actually found a... Um, 
what was it like an 82 88 something like that and like an 80s proof penny which was really cool to find i mean and that was like it it stood out in the till too i looked down into the change and i'm like whoa that's a funny looking penny and it was super high polished and then you can see lincoln was like a matte finish pulled it out looked had the s mark you know stamped on it san francisco i was like man that's it that's the first like proof penny i've actually pulled out of the till I have pulled uh, proof quarters out, um, some state quarters that were uh, that were proofs that obviously got popped out of a collection and sent into circulation. But anyway, occasionally they pop up. Working retail is awesome for coin collectors. I mean, I got a wheat penny out the other day, so it's just like always pulling old change out. All right. That's awesome. What do you think about the left's big push into... Memoology, uh, they're with their latest offering. I have no idea. <laughs> the rich will scoop up your stuff soon. Yeah, um, you know, when a recession kicks in, everything goes on sale, and the only people who get to take advantage of it are those who have the cash, and that's generally the rich. Yeah, all right. Uh, two quarters of negative GDP growth was introduced by supply chain issues and not demand issues. It is an artificial recession. Uh, if oil crashes, it will take down a lot of the economy or will it just prolong escalate life? Will it just prolong escalate life? Um, I think, honestly, I think higher oil prices will bring down the economy and really that's like if you have oil prices move up like we saw just recently with the gas prices moving up to five dollars or even more a gallon people end up stop like they spend less they spend less into the economy they spend less traveling and if you're not traveling you're not spending money because usually if you travel you end up spending money wherever you travel to so if oil prices move up, then that actually has a negative impact to the economy. Like a lot of people think, okay, oil goes up, that's input costs, that causes prices to go up, and then everything else like kind of increases from there. But at first I see that like, you know, that takes place in the initial, but longer term, it actually drags the economy down as people just stop spending less into the economy and have to spend more on getting to work. You know? Um there is no right or left, only haves and have-nots. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the thing is, we're on a road somewhere. Yeah, that's for sure. Honestly, I took out my retirement and willing to take the penalty in taxes. I feel safer moving it into assets such as land and gold. 42 years old and retirement isn't my future. Um, wow. At, geez, at 42, to pull it all out and put it in the land and gold. Um, at some point, you're going to have to sell that, right? Because if that's your retirement, you're going you're gonna to end up having to sell your land and gold in order to live. So, you know, when it comes to land, like if you have a huge chunk of it that you can break off, like, you know, sell sections of it then that might be good. The gold would work out pretty well as long as gold prices move up dramatically um, for your retirement. But at 42, I mean, I'm just thinking of myself. I don't I don't know if I would go all in on landing gold. Um, 
but then again like I'm, i don't know exactly what it is that i would do but i just try to think of like how do i break off pieces of that and live like monthly expenses or something like that you know that's something you kind of have to consider going into the into the future if you have like big expensive assets like that it's the same thing with like buying precious metals you know like having 100 ounce bars i mean that might be kind of fun to like hey look i got this 100 ounce bar but then if you only want like a few hundred dollars off of that bar you have to sell the whole thing off you don't you can't really like you know cut a section i mean you could but then most people don't want to buy the rest of it you know so you you usually have to keep that bullion as a whole piece and sell it off as that piece and if you have big like chunks of it then it's going to be hard to like you know do your monthly expenses unless you sell the whole thing off uh that's not diversifying bad move can you see happiness to retire with your family in a foreign country and live like a king i can retire now and like and live like a king well yeah go for it man i mean if you can live like a king off in a foreign land and you enjoy that place that you're living I, yeah why wouldn't you do that you know i mean i've even thought of thought of it myself it was just like man i should like do youtube from some really like cheap place in the world that i could live and just do my youtube from there but you know the appeal of the youtube channel is that you know working class having a job you know struggling just like everybody else is you know like i could find another cheaper place to live but i really enjoy living in astoria and it takes a lot to live here it's clean the crime rate is low the people are really nice um you know, you pay, you have to pay dearly for that. And I do, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it costs a lot to live in this town. I can't believe it. Considering 20 years ago, this was a working class town. Like anybody could move here and make a living and enjoy, you know, enjoy it. Now it's like, I don't know how an individual is supposed to do it. Like it is so expensive here and I just don't see it happening. All right. Uh, let's bet a gold coin that inflation will persist. Let's bet a gold. In in what sense that they're that they're going to continue to in, increase the the monetary supply of money? Like they're going to, you know, is that the is that the inflation that we're talking about? Like the expansion of money and credit. And do we start now? And does it go for a week, or do we go for like a year, or like twenty years? <laughs> I'm not betting anything. Uh, yes. <laughs> Damn, <Don. laughs> All right. Uh, Astoria is an awesome city. Crazy to see the difference since I was a kid working there. Yeah, it is. It is so different. I mean, you know, especially like over the last five years, as people really started moving in here, you know, you can sell your expensive house in Seattle or Portland or LA or something like that and take your million dollar sell, come down here, buy a $500,000 house, have $500,000 to spend, and then want to bring in all those conveniences and fun things that you had back home. So then now the shops here are more catered towards people with money. There's less like you know, everything's so trendy now. Everything's like trendy restaurants, trendy bars, trendy all kinds of stuff. And before we used to have dive bars and working class shops and stuff like that. It's a very different, very different environment here than it used to be. And, you know, that's part of like, you know, that's, I keep going back to Cantillon, but he talks about that. The property owners are the ones who establish what it is that are going to be the preferences of that particular area. 
So even though you might have working class people who want like, you know, particular particular shops or something like that, it doesn't matter what they want. It's going to be the property owners and what they want. And that's what's going to be coming to that particular area. Why are you always in your car? Um, that's a good question. You know, the reason why I'm always in my car is because I started off in the car simply for the sound because it's much quieter in the car than it was in the house or anywhere else I was. So I would do the videos in the cars just for the for the sound effects, you know, being much better. And then it stuck. And then people told me I couldn't leave the car because I tried getting an office at one time and they said, if you move into an office, we're leaving. So I, I guess the car is where I'm at. When are you going to admit you are already bought a Lambo and that background is just the, <laughs> the green screen? Yeah, you know, I thought about it when I do... Uh, eventually get my get my camaro can i tell you guys about it can i do videos from a camaro or would you guys bail out on me you want to make sure that i stay in the 99 corolla because uh i was looking at camaros and you know just like anything else out there they make like cheap cheaper ones you know with like the little engines and cloth seats and just you know make it look like a camaro but it's not really a camaro and so as you start increasing up into the, you know, the super sports and the higher range ones, you start realizing that, you know, you don't want the $27,000 Camaro. What you really want is the $44,000 Camaro. And it's not even the $44,000 one you want. It's the $67,000 Camaro that you want. So when I start looking at a $67,000 Camaro and I think, good Lord, that's a lot of money and how much the payments would be and the insurance and everything else that goes with it. The Corolla looks pretty good again. <laughs> you know, so I'm still driving the Corolla. Uh, just get the roof liner fixed, bro, and keep it. I don't know. The return on investment on this roof liner would be pretty, pretty much nothing. So I don't know why I would want to fix it. It's like the rest of the car doesn't look that great either. So what's the point of fixing the headliner? <laughs> uh, crabs don't want other crabs leaving the bucket. <laughs> just get through oh i already read that one okay have you looked in looked at the 1920 similarities in the market today thoughts um no um i haven't looked at the similarities from the 1920s to the way they are today um simply because the things that are changed things that are going on today doesn't really have the same like monetary policies that existed back in the 20s so it's it's hard to compare like some of the things that were taking place inside of the markets and and stuff like that just because we've gone from a gold standard to a fiat so i don't know maybe if it was something specific that you were talking about in there but as far as just comparing it straight up other than being market crashes and booms and bus cycles and stuff like that no um i don't um i do compare like say the inflation scenarios that we've seen during world war ii or during the war efforts and say the inflation scenario that we saw during like the late 70s um you know these were we these are two like completely different scenarios as far as inflation goes a lot of people wanted to compare like you know the inflation scenario that we had experienced here to like back during the world wars saying that you know the supply chain shock that had happened was the very similar to what had happened here in the united states or it happened uh here just recently and I think about that for a second. I was like, well, it, it wasn't like a supply chain breakdown during World War II because stuff wasn't flowing through the nation. 
it was the supply chain breakdown because all the supply went to the war effort and got consumed by the war. So that's not the same situation that had happened here and, you know, this time around, even though it was similar in the sense that it was a supply chain constraint that was happening. It, it wasn't the same because the supplies eventually started coming into the United States where before it was just consumed. And then if you try and compare the inflation to, like, say, the late 70s, well, during the late 70s, we had come off the gold standard and people were around the world very scared of the dollar and they didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, there was more people moving money into the Swiss banks that the United States was in a very, like, compromised position in which that they weren't able to sell their debts off at in u.s dollars well they could sell it off in u.s dollars but they got a much better interest rate by selling the u.s debt off and have it redeemable in german francs and swiss i'm sorry in swiss francs and german marks so they were called carter bonds and that's like you know like real dollar destruction happening there like people were actually scared of the dollar back then but that's not happening now. I mean, we have people all over the world who are demanding U.S. Treasuries, and we can tell that because the U.S. Treasuries keep falling in, in yield. The demand for them is quite high, even though we have an inverted yield curve happening here. It's still, it's not the same, like, fear of the dollar failure happening this time around as it was happening back in the 70s. So those two inflation scenarios are not even the same as what it is today. All right. Um, hey, UE, just go do test drives at the Mercedes dealers and do the show from there and let people guess the car. <laughs> That'd be fun. I was actually surprised that I haven't been like contacted by Toyota giving me a new Corolla saying, hey, you know, you got that old Corolla. Let's give you a new one. Just give us a shout out on your videos and then I could get a free car. But no Toyota dealer has ever contacted me. Uh, uh, the stainless Tesla truck will be the last car you will ever need at your age. Um, yeah, but I don't like that Tesla truck. I would rather have like, I don't know, like a um, 1975 Chevy. That's the kind of truck I would rather have, you know, same thing with like a Camaro. I'd rather have like, you know, like a late sixties Camaro. Yeah, 69 Camaro that's beat up, primered, filled with, like, empty beer cans and cigarette butts from the previous owner. That's kind of, like, my style. That's that's really what I would be driving, you know? Hey, he just called you old. <laughs> yeah, I feel older. Okay. Go Honda. Get a Corolla hatchback. <laughs> Your age, lots of laughs. All right. Oh, man. Old Mustang 68. Yeah. Some of those old vehicles, they would be fun. I remember my uh, my buddy had an old Camaro that was, it was green. And it was awesome. It was just like that, too. It was all beat up and old and just, like, hammered. And, God, I just loved riding that thing. He would never let me drive it, though. Life will be better and robots will do all our jobs. Maybe. I don't know about that. Um, let's see. Prius, 62 miles to the gallon is what I'm getting. It's helpful. <laughs> okay, you are not going to want to work on old cars in your old age. <laughs> You're right. I don't want to work on cars at all. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind, like, I don't like working on cars. I don't want to work on cars. 
Currently in medical school, study most of the time, but absolutely love your videos. Learn so much from you and hope to use that knowledge in a startup of my own sometime. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you're using the uh, information to go along with all the rest of the information and to try and figure out the best way to position yourself or, you know, to put you and your family and your crew in the best position that you can be in. All right, I'm likely getting an avalanche. I like how it will fit in my garage and have a long bed and crew cab. All right, there are either rust buckets or showroom queens. 70s Chevy Blazer ragtop with 30s Mickey Thompsons. Yeah, now that's that's what I'm talking about right there. All right, country boy will survive. Yeah, life is better because robots are doing the jobs we used to do. Um yeah well i kind of wonder about some of that stuff you know like i i mean i'm looking forward to the day actually you know because i mean i don't mind driving but to be honest if i didn't have to drive like if you know i had a car that would just like i could just sit in there and it would just drive me wherever i wanted to go i think that's cool like i think that that would just be awesome same thing with all the rest of the robots that can you know add to our conveniences and you know just the pleasures of life and stuff i mean you think about it like cantillon said that wealth is food conveniences and pleasures of life so if you have your food taken care of and then you have all these conveniences taken care of and then the pleasures of life just kind of come from that well that's kind of wealth right you know so here we are in this really wealthy kind of environment even if you don't have anything i don't know it's this it's questionable. I don't know if robots are going to do what everybody says that they're going to do. All right. I own an avalanche, and it's a gas pig. All right. Automation engineered. Isn't that easy yet? Yeah, I'm, I'm believing that. All right. That's... Oh, let's see here. That's how they get you the cool factor. Do you accept dms on twitter curious if i could send you some charts no soliciting or making personal conversation just curious on your opinion um i i can go i i don't really go to twitter much i just got you know there's so many social medias out there and i am so like overwhelmed pretty much just trying to keep up on the youtube comments and my emails that really i just don't go to facebook or twitter or any of the other places to see what comments or things that have come up there um if you do want to send me a message and I try to reply to the emails, I don't get to reply to everybody's emails, but I, I do generally read all of them. So if you want to send me some charts or you want to send me an email or you just want to say hello or whatever, you can send me an email to uneducatedeconomist at gmail.com. And yeah, I'd love to see it. Uh, let's see here. What time is it? One fifty-seven. How much time do I? All right. So I got about... 16% power left on my phone on my battery. I'm going to give it like another 10-15 minutes here guys and I'll probably bail out. Do you do karaoke? I'm if I'm ever near Astoria I'll hit you up. Yeah, let's do karaoke. Um, I don't know if I'm any good at it but I'd love to you know, I'd love to try. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Do you think China will respond economically due to Nancy? I don't know. I, I, again, like that whole situation is so filled with propaganda. It's hard to like understand what it is that's truly happening there. I mean, I wish I had somebody who had some better insider knowledge or something to, to try and talk with on it. But I just like everybody I talk to and everybody I hear talking about it, it just seems like 
I just back away from that information because you just it's so much and I don't know what is real and what isn't. Yeah. Anybody any word on Autobot trading? I don't know about that. Um has anyone ever contacted you from an investment company to come work for them? I don't think they've actually like just straight up said, "Hey, why don't you come work for for us?" Um, I don't know exactly what it is that I would do for them that I don't already do for free on YouTube. Um, so I'm not sure what it is that they would ask of me. Um, so no, I, I I really haven't. Um, but with that being said, I've had quite a few investment firms contact me saying, hey, love your channel, love the information you give. Um, I've had a few brokers, like commodity broker, a uh, guy sent me you know, an email telling me, thank you for the lumber information that I put out there and that he made some pretty good trades off of the lumber um, information that I had. And I told him, I was like, man, that's really cool that you were able to do that. I wish I knew how to make money off the lumber trades. And so he ended up like PayPaling me a hundred bucks saying there's your commission. So I guess I kind of work for him in a way. <laughs> Not really though. Um, if you could ask Richard Cantillon one question, what would it be? Oh man. Um, you know what I would really like to, to try and get from Richard Cantillon is his insight into the way the economy and the way the cycles work and then try to get him to take in the thought of fiat currencies and negative interest rates, central bank digital currencies. These were things that never was even a possibility back in his day. So to try and tr take in some of those kind of thoughts into what that would have as far as cause and effects into the economy, I think that that would be really awesome to hear. But, um, uh, I don't know, like, that's kind of, like, because that's the only thing that really, like, separates his his essay from, like, modern day, is that there's really no connection with digital currencies or fiat currencies, stuff like that. Everything that he was talking about is either gold and silver as, as currency or some kind of paper that is due in gold and silver. So no matter what, it was always backed by gold and silver in the end. Um you know, the, the deep-rooted you know, laws of economics that are within that essay, I still think play out very well today. But I think really, like, if he was to try and have that kind of thought or insight into the economy as far as dealing with, like, fiat currency, digital currencies, negative interest rates, these are things that just, like, were never even a concept even 15 years ago, let alone, you know, 200 years ago. Uh, do you get cash offers for your house? Why do I get targeted by these people trying to buy my house for cash with low ball prices? I've never been late or missed a mortgage payment. Um, I don't know. Uh, pay the man some money. Did he not monetize this to help defray property tax and capital gains? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, if you're talking about me and this channel, I mean, I monetized the channel just as soon as I could. And I never really thought that I was going to be making anything, like, significant off of this channel. I remember, like, 
you know, the first time like a video got $10, I was just like, I was so floored by that. I'm like, holy moly, I got $10 to do a video. I'm like, man, if I could do that every day, I could do like $300. That would be like, I could get like a car or something like $300 a month. Can you imagine just for putting out a video? And then, you know, one day I got $300 for a video. And I, holy moly, now, now we're talking, you know. So, I mean, I monetized the channel right away to, to try and earn a little bit of money. I just never thought it would end up going to as big as it has. I want a ZL1, good value, yeah. What are they, like 66, 67,000, brand new? Have you seen the bottom... Uh, for the bear market or is it just a bear market rally uh yeah i think we got i still think we have some ways to go um i just kind of look at it from like in a recession people are trying to get into cash they're trying to take in a, as much cash position as they can get and they will get out of all their assets whether it's stocks bonds gold whatever they have in order to get that cash and the idea behind it is is they don't want to lose any more value in whatever asset that they have and they also want to be in a cash position to take advantage of the cheaper prices. The only problem with it is, is that everybody does it at the wrong time. Like, excuse me. Like, by the time they start selling off their stuff, it will be at the bottom. Like, when you see, like, the major, like, sell-off happening, it'll be right towards the very end of the bear market. And everybody's going to talk about how crappy the stock market is and how nobody should be involved in that and... When you see like all the blood in the streets, when you see people crying, you know, because they lost all their retirement and stuff, that's when you get in. That's that's when you say, okay, now is my time to buy. And um, so I see that there's probably going to be some more sell-off happening, especially if the Federal Reserve continues to raise rates. Like if they shock everybody and just say, nope, we're going to continue on, on past, you know, neutral and keep right on going, then yeah, I can see where people would be selling off their stuff. Oh man, what do we got here? Best day. I'm gonna get rid of this dude real quick here. How do I get rid of that? Sorry, I'm trying to. There we go. Okay. Report, remove, put user in timeout, hide user from channel. There we go. Get the hell out of here, spammer. Where's Where's uh, Lord Humongous? I thought he was supposed to moderate that stuff. Okay. Uh, let's see here. That's wrong. They want to be in cash before a recession and in a recession is when they will be buying. The markets are future forecast. Yeah, you're right. But the problem is, is that the people will not behave in such fashions. What they will do, they want to be in cash before the recession, but they're not going to be in cash before a recession. They're going to be in the middle of their stock market complaining about how they lost $17,000, but still haven't cashed out. And then pretty soon it'll be you know, $50,000 that they lost and they'll finally like, Oh, I don't want to lose any more. And then they'll start cashing out at completely the wrong time. So now there's people in the market who are very smart about it and will do that. Right. Right. And we will like get out early and get in at the right times. But most people don't behave that way. Like most people buy and sell at the exact wrong time because they're doing it off of emotion, you know, instead of doing it off of logic. I understand that point of view, but money will flow to safety. That's from all over the world. You said the strong dollar, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, so if, I mean, if you're talking on a global scale or if you're just talking in the United States, I mean, there's definitely two things that are happening there. 
Now, if the whole world starts going into a sovereign corporate debt crisis, like not just an economic slowdown, but a full-on debt crisis that's happening, then yes, I see where the dollar is going to explode. Like, everybody will be moving into the dollar. If that doesn't happen, then what you're going to end up finding is that it's going to be economic slowdown due to the less transactions, less economic activity, you know, money velocity slowing down. If that's being the case, then you're going to find here that the recession is going to kick in as there's less economic activity happening. And it's just, that's, you know, pretty much going to be a cycle within the bigger cycle of things. You know, if you have like a sovereign debt crisis happening at the same time that you have a recession here in the United States, then you can see where things can get really ugly and really bad. But if the recession kind of stays in the background and you have low unemployment and you have like interest rates that are not like skyrocketing everywhere, well, then the rest of the world can start going into a panic where the United States starts sitting like, you know, in a much better spot. And if that's the case, then you would find a lot of people flooding into the United States. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you have to take all these scenarios into account. I mean, you can't predict the future. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So this is a dating site live stream. No, I got rid of that guy. All right. Drive the Toyota till it drives no more. Smart money, then get a three-year-old new Toyota. Yeah, well, if I drive this thing until it doesn't drive anymore, I'm going to drive the S10 <laughs> until that doesn't drive anymore. <laughs> hey, UE, what are your thoughts on crypto? Um, I, I'm i a believer in Bitcoin. I, I buy Bitcoin. In fact, I've been buying Bitcoin just recently, $50 a week. Um, not trying to time the market or anything. Just buy it, you know, once a week, $50. I'm a, like, I'm a believer in it. Um, with that being said, I have no idea what's going to happen with the altcoins. I don't know if, you know, like, you don't know which one of them is going to be, like, the Amazon of the world or, you know, if, if, which ones are gonna, just going to straight up fail. I really feel in the end, Bitcoin is going to be considered, like, the digital gold. It may not be the the particular coin that is used for making the purchase of coffee or something like that. Although there is secondary layers that would give the ability for Bitcoin to do those type of transactions. I really feel that it's going to be more of a type of currency that is used maybe on a global scale. Not necessarily like a global currency, but maybe something that major corporations, big corporations, countries, stuff like that for transferring wealth. Like major amounts of wealth. Then I could see like maybe the Bitcoin doing something like that. But for the most part, I really see that Bitcoin is going to be held as a digital asset in a sense much like gold will be. The rest of the currencies, I don't know. Um, it, it's, they're still very questionable to me. Uh, you don't even know who created it. You're right. I mean, I'm assuming that it's like a CIA kind of thing, um, but that's just my assumptions on it. Okay, we can live without Bitcoin, but we can't live without gold and silver. Now, Don, that is very true. You can you can live without Bitcoin, but you can't live without gold and silver. And the way I kind of think about that one, too. What time is it? It's 2.09. I'm going to have to bail out of here before too long, guys. Or it's 2 hours and 9 minutes into this talk. But let's think about that. Which one's better? Is gold better or is Bitcoin better? All right, because they both kind of do something similar, right? You can transfer wealth to different people using it. Nice thing about gold is that it's physical in your hand. Bitcoin, well, like the private keys can be physical in your hand or at least, you know, secured in a, in a sense. But there's nothing physical there. 
If you want to do a transaction with somebody on the other side of the world, you know you have to put your trust into a third party to or carry it yourself. But generally, you're going to have to send it, so you have to put your trust into a third party. If you want to send Bitcoin to somebody on the other end of the world, you don't have to trust anybody. You can just you know type it in and send it on its way, and there's nobody who's going to stop that transaction. So the two are very similar in a sense. But then there's two very differences, you know, and that's being one of them is how do you transfer the wealth physically to somebody or trust a third party or on a digital ledger, which doesn't have any kind of, you know, limitations to it. Essentially, it's just whoever you want to and there's nobody who can stop it from happening. So at the end of the day, which one's better? Well, gold will exist no matter what. Bitcoin cannot exist without the gold. Right. You need the infrastructure, you need the computers, you need everything that's happening. And gold is vital to that system. So gold then is better than Bitcoin because Bitcoin cannot exist without gold, but gold can exist without Bitcoin. So in the end of the day, gold is better than Bitcoin. But if you want to do transactions with somebody around the world, then Bitcoin is better. Right? Uh, Okay, I'm going to give it five more minutes, guys. Okay, I can't get into Bitcoin. My youngest son made about $50,000 off of it. He finally sold after I told him to take a profit. Yeah, nobody ever went broke taking a profit, that's for sure. Okay. Um, silver is the best. Maybe some silver dice for the mirror. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, good response. That's something we agree upon. Well, Don, finally. <laughs> finally. All right. um, macro strategy lost $1 billion this quarter, and the CEO will be leaving because of this, his big bet on big Bitcoins. Yeah, well, I mean... That's for taking on a lot of risk. I mean, I don't take risk with my Bitcoin. I try. Well, I mean, I do take a little bit of risk because I do hold it with a third party. I mean, I keep most of my Bitcoin at Coinbase. Um, not all of it, but I do carry a, a quite a bit of it with them. So if you are speculating or trying to invest or do something with it and you give it off to a third party who promises you some sort of return on your Bitcoin, then you are going to probably suffer the consequences for something like that. Can you get a lot of benefit from it? Sure, you can probably make a ton of money off of it, but the chances of you losing it are pretty high as well. So, yeah. Okay, Bitcoin to me is like tulips. We're, we're in Holland. You might be able to make money on it, but you don't, but don't be the last guy sitting in the chair when the music stops. Um... Yeah, I mean, it is it is similar in that sense, but, you know, you also have to think, like, the reason why Tulips did so well in Holland is because of the massive amount of money that was flowing into Holland at the time. Like, if you didn't have this, this insane, like, you know, I don't know, what is it, like wealth that was coming in, then there wouldn't have been the ability for the Tulips to take off in price. So because they had like the shipping channels, right, they were the main shipper of the world, you know, they transferred everything around. Well, then a lot of money started pouring into Holland. Well, that gave like the money to flow into anything like it could have flown. It, it could have moved into any direction. It just happened to be those damn tulips, right? 
So because these tulips were going up in price and everybody saw it, they were like, oh, and the speculation in the tulips started taking off because there was all this money available to even do it, right? But people didn't understand why these tulips were going up in value. Like they just didn't, they just didn't get it. They were just like, man, these things are really desired. It's like, you know, Pokemon cards or Beanie Babies or anything else out there. You know, people have this perceived idea that there's there's value behind it and that they'll be always be able to sell it. And then one day they realize, no, it's just a damn flower. That's all it is. Or it's just a little stuffed animal or it's just a picture on a card. There is no real value behind any of that. So if Bitcoin is like going to be compared to the tulip mania, well, then it's like the whole world is then awash with cash and it's flowing into Bitcoin because they think that's the safe place to be or that it's going to continue to go up. You might have that happen in a particular country, right? So, you know, the United States all of a sudden gets like this tulip mania kind of thought going on because they have all this cash and no place to put it. So they start diving into Bitcoin. Well, then there's nations that are not the United States that are going to benefit from that. Like all of a sudden their Bitcoin value in these this nation starts going up because the United States is buying so much of it. So you see all of a sudden now the flow of money is going from the United States over to, you know, say Korea or something like that, where all, you know, where people like South Korea, people might have a bunch of Bitcoin there. So you see how like the flow of money could start going there. It's not like stuck in the United States with the tulips or, you know, the Bitcoin or whatever it is that's happening right there. So I don't see where like Bitcoin is quite the same tulip mania kind of idea. Um, similar, but not, not, not quite the same. Like the similar idea that people have this perceived idea that it's going to continue to go up in value. The only difference is, is that it's like a global thing. You can make laws in one country. That doesn't change the fact that people own it all over the world, you know. So you can say, well, you're not allowed to transact in Bitcoin anymore. Well, you got to get the rest of the world to believe that too, yeah. All right. Uh, that's interesting. Well, that's what we has here too, cheap money, because interest rates were so long. Yeah, long, right. Okay, uh, 50K chain is a hold up, that's for sure. Hey, UE, what do you feel the economy is going to look like if China starts island hopping and cut the supply line from China to Australia? Do you think America can tool up to meet demand? No. Uh, I don't. And I think that if China was to attempt to try and cut people off, it would be more damaging to themselves than than to anybody else out there. I think really, I think what China, I think China is going to try and take over the world by using the U.S. debt, the, the U.S. dollar and issuing out debt out there. OK, so just take a look at Sri Lanka. Take a look at. Um, oh, what was the other place I was just reading about? Was it Pakistan? It wasn't Pakistan. It was someplace else. Um, anyway, they're doing it all over the world right now. Where, like, in Sri Lanka, they issued out a lot of debt in dollars. Right? So the Sri Lanka bonds, you know, that are due in U.S. dollars. Here's the thing. China sold or bought a bunch of that, right, in U.S. dollars. And they've also lent a lot of money. So that's lending money to Sri Lanka in U.S. dollars. Those are due back in U.S. dollars. Same thing they did to a lot of nations around the world, right? They helped them build power plants and, you know, maybe seaports and stuff like that. And they lent all this money to these people, into these nations and these corporations in U.S. dollars. So as China's sitting back watching the U.S. dollar strengthen, causing damage to ripple across the world, they're like feeding on the benefit of that, right? 
If Sri Lanka can't pay their debts, well, guess what? Their natural resources then become property of China. Well, not necessarily property of it, but all their natural resources start to benefit China. Same thing with all the power companies or the roads that they built or the ports or anything else out there. If those nations cannot pay back China, then China is the main beneficiary of that stuff. And they have gone around the world borrowing or lending money out in U.S. dollars doing that exact thing. So if the dollar strengthens up and starts to cause this, you know, sovereign corporate debt crisis, I think China is going to be a major benefit or beneficiary of that. And that could be one way that they actually do quite well during a strengthening dollar. You know, even though, like, maybe their exports might fall or something like that. I mean, who knows what's going to happen if they start up a war or anything else. But because of that situation that is out there, I think China can actually do quite well from a strengthening dollar. Stock up on cheap plastic products at the dollar fitty tree. (laughs) India, let's see here. I'm going to go. I got to go, guys. I would hang out here all day, but I think my phone's about ready to die anyway. I'm at 7% power. All right, let me get one more question in, and then I'm going to jet out. Okay, can you do a video on the above? China needs U.S. dollar really bad right now. Their banking system is collapsing right now. Yeah, and I I mean, who knows how far that is going to collapse. Now, a few months ago, I don't know how far back, and I can't remember the title of the video, but we had covered a story, an article where the government was saying that they wanted to increase families, like the idea of starting families and having kids. And generally, most people want to have like a home or some place that they can call their own to start a family with. And if you have property prices like off the charts expensive, then starting like young people trying to start a family is going to be very difficult for them. So China actually said that we want to take out a lot of this irrational exuberance that's going into the property sector to try and bring the value of these properties down so that it would make it more convenient for young people to start families. Like this is what they had said. And, you know, it got me thinking, it was just like, well, if they're trying to do that, what was happening before is they were trying to increase the value of these homes or going into that irrational exuberance, whether they were trying to or not, that's what was taking place. And I think about like here in the United States, when you hear about them dropping interest rates to support families and or to support households and businesses, dropping of interest rates made it more difficult on households. Dropping of interest rates caused the prices of homes to go way up and it made an ever increasing bigger burden on families. So as the interest rates fell, it didn't support households, it damaged households. Now over in China, what we see is them raising the interest rates, damaging the property sectors over there, and they're doing that so that they can encourage families to start up. Very odd to think about, but anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. It was awesome hanging out with you guys. Thank you very much for the super chats that you guys sent. Thank you, everybody who hit that thumbs up, 270 of you watching, 275 of you watching right now. Uh, Let's see here. Mark Wong, you say, UE, you are a legend. I know. Keep rocking the Corolla. Thank you. Love you, brother. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. 17 forever. Thank you very much for the question. Uneducated economist, you guys let me know.